0: Hello, my friend. Stay a while and listen. Thanks, Duckard. We appreciate your support. We'll be sharing our heartfelt nostalgia from this beloved game.
1: We have such warm and fuzzy memories of playing this game in our childhoods and of the joy that it brought us.
2: Ah, fresh meat. Yeesh. The warmth of life has entered my tomb. Oh, no. Trapped in a
0: room with so many bodies. Oh, my. My goodness.
2: Eternal death awaits any who would seek to steal the treasure secured within this room. Oh, man.
1: Welcome to the Nostalgic Millennial Podcast, where we will nerd out over the shows, movies, books, games, and more that made us who we are today. Prepare yourself for a return to the 1990s on the Nostalgic Millennial Podcast.
0: Welcome to our journey to hell. Yes, indeed. Matt and I embarked on an epic quest to defeat the devil himself, Diablo. While we're not doing the exact same play-by-play narrative we did for Shining Force, the narration that we'll be providing from each of our playthroughs is going to be a really good backdrop to discuss all our different characters that we love, all the different themes that we want to discuss, as well as the franchise in general. Things we like, things we don't like, and kind of maybe a little bit about where it's heading. But we really do want to confine this to... Diablo, which was really the definitive RPG for me growing up. It was kind of like a a step into gaming manhood. And that's why I felt we had to pick something like this.
1: Yeah, Diablo for me was one of the games that I remember buying at the mall and being super excited about. And yeah, stepping into gaming manhood, one could say, uh, because this is a hardcore game in more ways than one. So I'm excited to talk about this. Just to let everybody know, Diablo was released in January of 1997 by Blizzard Entertainment. There was then an expansion pack called the Hellfire Expansion that was released in November of the same year by Synergistic Software, a division of Sierra. Before we get into the details about our playthrough and our nostalgia about Diablo, I wanted to bring us into our Back to the 1990s segment. In this segment, I like to take everyone on a journey back to the time at which our episode is set. So we're going back to January of 1997, and I will be explaining some of the popular movies, video games, TV shows, and music from the era. Kicking things off with music, we have Unbreak My Heart by Tony Braxton. It was... The top spot for seven weeks so the whole way through january and into february we also had no doubt with don't speak whitney houston with i believe in you and me and celine dion it's all coming back to me now going over to movies the top film was a movie that i've never heard of a john travolta film called michael which apparently stars him as the archangel michael but evidently this is a comedy, a comedy film about the Archangel Michael. Next up, we had The Relic, a horror film, and Beverly Hills Ninja, starring Chris Farley. Last movie that we have is Jerry Maguire, of course, starring Tom Cruise. And moving over to video games, we've got Diablo itself coming out January 3rd, And really only one other notable for the month that I could find, but this is a heavy hitter. Final Fantasy VII, released on January 31st for the PlayStation. Now when it comes to TV, we have a lot of the same shows that we've had throughout the 90s, so ER, Seinfeld, Friends, Home Improvement. One unique element, though, is that since we're in January, it's Super Bowl season, and we're going to have Super Bowl 31 Patriots versus Packers with the Packers taking the victory.
0: So, yeah, the beginning with the music, a lot of romance seems floating in the air here with some love songs. Yeah, it's, it, I think I was just busy. So at this time, I must have just been watching my friend play Diablo and Final Fantasy seven, because even Jeremy Maguire, that's the only really other thing you said that I even knew of. And I only saw that more recently, like 10 years ago or something like that, going back and watching it. So at this time, this is where I was at my friend's house. He would have had Diablo because that's where I got the game from and Final Fantasy VII all the time. I mean, he played that nonstop. And I remember, you know, I, I can remember the actual disc itself like the disc box and it was like five or some separate discs you'd have to reload each disc because it couldn't fit it all on one and you just had to keep inserting back and forth and oh, the nostalgia of that because of how massive the game was phenomenal.
1: Final Fantasy 7 is a personal favorite and I will say that this is probably an unpopular opinion but when it comes to Final Fantasy I actually prefer the earlier entries where they're more set in a classical fantasy type of world than the more futuristic type that they end up doing. But Final Fantasy VII is just undeniably a classic, just a masterpiece. And so even with that setting being a little bit different, I absolutely love this one. And I never actually got to play it through until I was an adult because I did not have a PlayStation back in the day. And I did beat the game on the original hardware with the original discs, and it was an experience. And yeah, swapping discs. Shout out to the remake as well. That's been fantastic. I'm glad you mentioned
0: the futuristic part because I completely agree. I hate, especially in games like this where we're talking swords and fantasy. I always want it set in ancient times with magic and whatnot. And the other game around this time was like Might and Magic, that series. And they always did that. At the end of every single game, they turned it futuristic. And so there's nothing worse than going from like cool bows and arrows and throwing spears and casting spells to getting laser guns and fighting robots and stuff. It's like, I think there's maybe a place for that. It's not my favorite genre at all. And that's why I never got in like the Final Fantasy Onlines and stuff, because I just don't like the futuristic component of it.
1: Do you have any memories of this uh, Super Bowl 31? I can't say that I really do. When I was looking into it, it looked like it was a big Brett Favre moment for him. So, you know, taking the the victory there. But other than that, I just don't really have a lot of nostalgia for this one. As everyone knows, I grew up in the Pittsburgh area. So uh, this one, I don't even know if I watched it.
0: See, I have no nostalgia for the Super Bowl. Again, we were, what, maybe 10 years old at this time. So I probably wouldn't even be able to watch the Super Bowl in general. But I grew up in Cleveland. We weren't even a franchise yet because we had moved to Baltimore and became the Ravens. We didn't come back until 1999 with Tim Couch leading the Browns to glory. That was our... (laughs) And then, yeah, I mean, the rest is history. Obviously, you know we went to... College together, and I had to be with Matt and experience two of his Super Bowl wins, which was devastating for me. But definitely, yes. no memories of, the, of this <laughs> Super Bowl because I was probably, you know, pretty jaded about football in general.
1: Well, regardless, uh, this is a huge year. And, you know, when I was looking up the video games for this year, it is an all star year. I wish I could talk about more of these games that came out, but I'm going to have to save those for later segments. So, this has been Back to the 1990s.
0: So as I had mentioned before, Diablo was a game that I had to get for my friend because it was money issues and also potentially another issue. And so really my first personal experience with Diablo after this was Diablo 2. And I actually did really well in school. And my mom wanted to know, hey, Paul, what would you like as a gift? And so I said, oh, Diablo 2, because I love Diablo 1. I. I borrowed it from my friend. And she said, okay, sounds good. She went to Best Buy and then came back. And I was so excited to play Diablo 2. She came back empty handed because it had a mature rating and she did not know that it had a mature rating. And she said, I can't get this for you. So I was pretty devastated by that. And I don't know, it kind of got me thinking a little bit about, you know, these ratings, mature ratings and whatnot. I mean, playing Diablo at that early age, I don't remember ever having any nightmares about it or or anything like that. And, I just remember really fond memories enjoying myself with it. But that's kind of why I wanted to play it, because it was such a big franchise for me, and I have so much nostalgia with with the original. But I don't remember any nightmares, any issues like that. What were your thoughts on that?
1: It's interesting in my case, because my parents, when I was younger, didn't really seem like they wanted to get me video games. But then at some point, that sort of, that dam broke and i started getting them and they started buying them for me and they were pretty open minded like if i was especially if i was buying something with my own money they would generally let me buy it and i remember going to the mall and i would always look around there were two stores at the time we had electronics boutique and we had software etc they were both in this mall And this was back in the day when there was more than one game company. If you can imagine that, there was not just GameStop everywhere. There were different companies that had different prices. And they did at that time sell used PC games as well because they were accepting those just like they did with consoles. And they were selling PC games in the stores, which they eventually stopped doing. And so at the time, you know, I would go in there and I would just browse through these bargain sections of PC games. And so this was not right when it launched. This was sometime after, maybe a few months or even half a year or so after the fact. And I think I found a copy of it. It was actually it would have been probably closer to a year because the copy that I got was diablo and then it had the hellfire expansion like combined with it they were both in the same box and i ended up buying those i remember going and uh waiting for my mom in, in like the food court because by that point when we went to the mall you know sometimes like we'd split up she'd go shop for clothes and i'd go in the game stores and then we'd meet up for lunch at the food court And so I was sitting there waiting and I was just like reading like the little instruction books and everything is getting like super hyped for it. It wasn't really a game that I had seen before. I don't think I really knew much about it, but just the look of the box and the back where you could see the little screenshots of everything, it just looked fantastic. And so I took it home, installed it, and I had no idea what I was in for. Now I don't remember having any nightmares or anything either. If anything, I thought it was awesome. I mean, this was a legitimate horror game with lots of very gory scenes, you know, bodies that were severed and bloody and all kinds of, like, really gross visuals in the dungeons and everything. And I don't think I'd ever seen a game like that before that was so gritty and realistic looking as far as what it was depicting. And it's easy going back now to see some age uh, in the design, but the actual look of it and the atmosphere of it, I think it holds up perfectly.
0: We'll have to discuss here. The first thing I wanted to talk about, I'm glad you mentioned the nostalgia of the manual. I miss that man, especially with Blizzard. They used to do these battle chests where basically you'd get the games, you'd have game art, you'd have even like manuals, not just like the game manual, but like what do they call them? Like the playthroughs, strategy
1: guide. Yeah, the- you'd have a strategy guides. because I had the uh Warcraft battle chest that had you know Warcraft 2 had like the tides of darkness, it's like the expansion was in there. Uh, I think it might have even had Warcraft One. I'm not even sure now, but it had like a whole bunch of stuff all in the one. And yeah, it had like strategy guide, all that stuff. Oh, that was so good! Like getting that literature with it is like you could just get right into that game world by by reading about it and playing it at the same time.
0: What was like the perfect amount of reading material to get home, right? Or you know, while you're with your mom or whatever, shopping, and on the way home, just going through it all. And I remember like I used to get every single Madden game and that'd be my favorite thing to do just to check the different features, the different tackle animations they added, what pictures they were using. And then one year it was just gone. I just opened it up and it was like, there's nothing in there. And it just said for more details, go to our website on this. And then it just had the credits or whatever. And I'm like, no, that's not okay. And now with digital downloads, like that's gone. I guess you can, you can watch trailers and whatnot. But unfortunately, with the digital downloads, you kind of lose that experience of having the game, having the toy, reading up on it, getting really hyped for it, and then getting home, then being able to play it after installation and stuff, like building up that hype. The way you said that really just brought me back to how games used to be, because those manuals were awesome.
1: The manuals were awesome. And, you know, you mentioned the rating system. I wanted to mention something about that. So... When we were really young, there was no rating system, and this is sort of the way that movies used to be. At one time, there was no rating system, and with movies, you know, during uh, sort of, like, this era where there was this growing concern about, like, you know, censoring them and labeling them, the film industry decided to create this rating system to try to avoid some of this controversy. And that's kind of what happened with the video game industry because in the 90s, there was this big kick-up over the Mortal Kombat games. And there were people on TV, like these old fart senator guys that were like a thousand years old that had no idea what a video game was and debating about like the morals of games and everything and so eventually the game industry you know creates this rating system and so we still have that rating system today and i'm not really a fan of rating system it doesn't matter anymore because because we're so old that like we can we can buy whatever we want but Uh, I'm generally not a fan of rating systems. I don't like censorship regarding like art and content like that. I guess that, you know, it it might be, you can speak to this. It might be helpful from a parent's point of view, but I feel like, can't you just sort of look at the thing for what it is and decide if it's appropriate or not? Like, you know, I, I don't know if, if branding these labels is necessarily that helpful. I mean, in your case, it ruined your ability to play Diablo too. I, uh, I was lucky enough that I did have Diablo 2 myself, but, you know, I'll hold off on that for now.
0: Yeah, so at 14, I can't play a game that's 17 plus, even though I had played the original. And again, my mom had no problem letting me go to my friend's house where I could see the game, getting, you know, borrowing the game, playing the game. But in that one moment, decided she saw that rating symbol and was like, I'm done. You know, she didn't go. And I guess maybe they didn't have the ability to research games that, I can now, like if there's a movie, I can either watch it pretty readily or if a game, I can kind of get a good idea, even from streaming and Twitch and whatnot about what that game is. And that's what I'll do. I mean, I'll basically say, hmm, let me do some research and let me decide myself. There are some things I say, no, not appropriate. Other things I'll say are appropriate. And that's kind of hard, but I guess as a parent, you do have that discretion no matter what, because you're kind of the harbinger of that decision. But it is hard. I mean, it is hard. Like my kids have had nightmares but they'll not have nightmares watching Harry Potter and the Gobble to Fire, where you have uh, Peter Pettigrew cutting off his hand or whatever. And, you know, they'll have a nightmare about, you know, we were playing Unlock a few days ago, which is like an escape room card game. And there's one little, it's a Star Wars one, and just one little, like, Jedi bounty hunter type character who just had, like, a rifle over his shoulder. And so my son had a nightmare about that. And it's like, You've watched Lord of the Rings, no nightmares, Harry Potter, nothing. And then this, so it's it's kind of arbitrary and it's hard because it's like, as a parent, obviously I want to share things with my kids that I enjoy experiences that I enjoy because I love them and I want to have fun with them. Part of that's selfish for me because it's time I can spend with them that I'm interested in doing stuff as well. But then the counterpoint is obviously, are you exposing them too soon? So I, it, it's very fluid in terms of what I do. I definitely gatekeep certain things. Don't gatekeep other things. And you know, I'm trying my best here, but I think, yeah, by and large, leave it up to the parents to decide these insane rules. And my mom had the choice. I mean, my mom could have bought me the game. I guess you've got this ESRB telling you what to do, telling my mom what to do. And she obviously relied on them. I'd never rely on them. I mean, there's some things I see that are teen that clearly aren't, like they're more mature, things that are PG that are more mature and things that are teen. And I'm like, how is this PG 13? This should be far less. And so it's very arbitrary what their ranking system is. I don't trust them, but it does mean I have to do more research on the subject. But again, you know, my mom could have made the choice to let me play Diablo two. She could have engaged in a dialogue or asked me why I wanted to play it. Ask me, am I scared of it? Do I understand what's involved? And she just said, nope, that's it. And I love my mom, but I would want to discuss that with my child and learn their perspectives and see, oh, you've played the more far more gory one, which we're going to talk about in Diablo 1, because Diablo 2 honestly tamed a lot of what Diablo 1 did, and that's been a theme of Blizzard since, because you're right, man, this really hits. This is a complete, this is a horror game. This is like a Dead Space type game.
1: Yeah, 100%. Yeah, regarding the ESRB, it it was, I did just, you know, double check. It was established in like 1994, and it was also, uh, so I, I was right about Mortal Kombat. Apparently, uh, also the game Night Trap was another major reason that it was established, which is kind of interesting to me, because Night Trap was this very unique Sega CD type of release, and essentially you were controlling these different cameras and there was the situation where there's this house that's being attacked by these different creatures, and you can see cameras in different rooms. It's like one of these, like, um, like full video type games, and you have to sort of select what to do in the different situations. But yeah, so that was another one that was uh, that was controversial. But yep, so now we're stuck with the uh, this rating system for the rest of our lives, probably. But at least uh, now, whenever, you know, you go to a game and it's like, this is restricted for certain ages. You just put your birthday in on the website and it lets you write in. So, I mean, there you go. Shh,
0: don't tell them, don't <laughs> tell them that. That's maybe not the best security measure you could have. Can you, can you imagine like trying to get alcohol in, in high school and they're like, put your age in, you know, and, right. then, <laughs> and then we'll just sell it to you. <laughs> right that's the gatekeeping it's it's very minimal but you know the alternative would be full id and and who knows what else but i like diablo immortal i did play on the uh mobile uh, it's the phone game released i let my son watch me play that cuz there's honestly no blood i mean there's a little bit of obviously you're attacking creatures and stuff and but you can't really see them all that well diablo one's very different and i remember him coming downstairs wanting to watch and it was weird cuz i'm like you can't watch this. You've seen me play Diablo Immortal, and he knows that. And I told him it's Diablo. He's like, oh, I can watch it. But I'm like, you can't watch this one. And and we'll be going into the differences very shortly. So going into the playthrough, Matt and I decided we wanted to do a playthrough of this. I had originally been watching some long plays at night of Diablo, and I loved doing Shining Force 2. It was so much fun for me and Matt. We basically went from like Oregon Trail to Shining Force 2 but Shining Force 2 is just such an immense journey. And so we're always looking for a way to kind of find maybe a medium ground. I stumbled upon Diablo and I brought it up to Matt. He's like, yeah, that'd be a good idea. It'd be a good way to do a playthrough, but not obviously play by play the same way as like a Shining Force with turn-based action. And we could just generally go through our playthroughs, share our experiences, and going to buy Diablo was actually kind of difficult. I mean, it's like for Shining Force 2, I found tons of emulators. It was no issue. Diablo, they didn't really emulate in any way. There's like a browser version of it, but nothing that you could download on your computer and load states, which was kind of weird. I guess because of the patching system or whatnot, I'm not sure. And then I couldn't even find it at all on the internet, really. I was trying to go through Blizzard. Blizzard does not have Diablo 1. <laughs> they outsourced it out to GOG, which is good old games, And I guess they just didn't want to deal with the patching and the internet issues or whatever, but they gave them the rights. Blizzard transferred the rights of Diablo 1 to GOG, which is absolutely insane to me, but that's where we had to go to get this game. And so I got, you get Diablo, you get the expansion, but how crazy is that, that Blizzard outsourced out Diablo to a separate company to handle it? I mean, this is their bread and butter. They now have a fourth one coming out, which... We had no idea about, by the way, when we started this and yet they're willing to just transfer it over to this random company.
1: So my experience finding it was a lot quicker than yours because I actually use good old games quite a lot. Um, They have a lot of sales and you can get stuff from the 90s or even the 2000s, um, even sometimes even more recent than that. You can get it really heavily discounted if you pay attention to the sales, so definitely a shout out to them. That was the first place I checked for it, actually, even over Blizzard itself, and uh, so that worked out pretty well. But Blizzard is kind of weird about Diablo because uh, even the expansion, the Hellfire expansion, was not done by Blizzard. It was done by this Sierra that worked on it. And from what I understand, when it comes to, like, the lore of Diablo, uh, the Hellfire expansion is considered kind of to be, like, non-canonical because it was not actually a Blizzard uh, project. Blizzard is a tough topic for me because I have such immense nostalgia for them. They might have been the very first game company that I actually followed, like, as a game company. Because typically, when I was younger, I'd play any game, whoever made it, as long as I thought it looked good. But I wasn't really following certain developers, and like, oh, what are they going to make next? And that was harder to do back then anyway, because we didn't have all the resources with the internet we have now. But by the time we got to Diablo, you know, I had a computer, I was online, and Blizzard, I mean... I always loved the Warcraft games, uh, Warcraft 2 in particular. Uh, That was one of the main things that got me into PC gaming. Uh, When I saw that game, I was like, I've got to have this. I can't live without it, basically. And I don't even think at that time I was even fully aware, okay, it's Blizzard, because I just didn't really pay attention to who made the game. But then when I realized Diablo was made by the same people, and then you end up with StarCraft. And so I just was a fanboy for Blizzard for the whole way up through childhood then at that point. And the company um, ethos has changed quite a lot. And the way they've handled the Diablo property has changed quite a lot. And you can see here where it goes from being like this pure... Horror experience. I mean, yeah, it's not like a, a jump scare type of game where you're sort of playing, going through like a dark mansion or something. It is an action RPG where you have a character and you're moving them around and attacking other characters and, you know, leveling up and getting new abilities and stuff like that. But the atmosphere is totally horror. There was no way around that. And then Diablo 2 retained some of that but it takes it down quite a few notches as far as how explicit it all is and then you go to Diablo 3 you know and then I haven't really seen Diablo 4 yet I know the beta has been out but I haven't gotten to try it and so it seems like they're moving more and more toward mainstreaming the series
0: without a doubt and it's about monetization it's all about money really and yeah Diablo 2 It removed a lot of the horror elements from it and added in some of the cool RPG elements, the grinding, the skill trees, the stats, all that stuff that people like. They kind of just blew it out of proportion in Diablo 2, and it worked for that perspective. I still think Diablo 1 may be a better solo experience right away, but Diablo 2 obviously going to offer you more content. Diablo 3, an abysmal failure, they basically took the entire Diablo whore design and made it a cartoon. I mean, they basically removed the whore because they wanted to target kids. They wanted to target young people, people like my mom who'd be like, oh, I can't have my kid play this game because it's too scary and dangerous. And they just removed a lot of the whore elements from it, a lot of the customization. And then they brought in things like the auction house where you could just buy gear online that they would take a profit from.
1: Yeah, and And it was supposed to be a real money auction house at first. Do you remember that? was actually paying with real money to get gear
0: Uh, yeah it was absolutely insane that release and just removing a lot of the customization options removing a lot of the scary elements from it completely removed you had mentioned diablo one's a horror game it's also a roguelike game in my opinion i think they have very finite item drops that will determine your playthrough they have very finite spawns that'll determine your playthrough and it's randomly made dungeons and everything. It's very roguelike. You have to keep making trips to town to reload your potions. So it's very much, you have to be very careful with how you spend your money, be be very careful how you use your potions. Removed all of that just to be more user-friendly. Then they come out with Diablo Immortal for the mobile, which again, I mean, they have like 12 different currencies, all you can buy with real money. All they give you these little stat boosts, so they just completely... Removed everything. Like they don't even care about the horror element, the plot, anything at all anymore. They just use that as a guise to then make you boost up your character, make him stronger. But you got to pay for. Do you want one percent more strength? Pay a hundred bucks. Do you want hundred more HP? Pay a hundred bucks. And some whales will pay for it. So that's what they've done. And all the horror elements pretty much gone. Like they still use like monsters, but the monsters are cartoonish, and they still use plot, but the plot's very basic there's not anything heartfelt. They still use voice acting, but everything's just toned down and they clearly focus on spending a bunch of different money for a bunch of different currencies and gems and everything to get that little bit of stat boost to make you seem stronger than another character. And then the little bit I've seen of Diablo 4's beta is basically they've gone a little bit more to Diablo 1 in terms of like the art, but it's still going to be that same type of concept of just like grinding. And they've done a much better job i've only seen a couple hours of playthrough of it much better art much more scary fighting and everything much more limited monsters but still nowhere near what diablo 1 was there's still it's, it's like a mix between diablo 2 and diablo immortal it's just like i they're not going to get there because they want it to be the game where you're grinding out day in and day out probably because of world of warcraft where they wanted people never to reach an end never to achieve anything It seems that's where the franchise has gone, which is so sad because in this game, you win and you're done. It's like you've accomplished your mission and you can replay it, right? But you're not paying money to get better gear, to beat new bosses. And so there's not as much monetization with that. And that's why they made their choice. And so it's not going to ever be that type of game again. So hopefully maybe a different company can come out. But Path of Exile does a better job and it's free to play than Diablo probably will ever do. And that's in existence now, for free.
1: It looks like the art direction on Diablo 1 was done by Vlad the Impaler. I mean, that's the way that I would describe it. There's blood everywhere. There's, like, just corpses on the ground. There are literally guys impaled, like, on spikes. I mean, it's pretty gnarly stuff. And I think that that sort of character to the game, I feel like in general... That's been lost with games because of the sort of the mainstreaming of them. I think when games were more of a niche hobby that were still for quote, you know, nerds and people that were like, you know, dedicated to the hobby that you got a lot more character in the games that there's smaller design teams, smaller production teams. They could put in what they wanted to put in there. There wasn't as much oversight But when you go to like this sort of death by committee type of situation where everybody has a say and and everyone, all the executives and marketing people, they're all involved in creative decisions. And so I I feel like that's one thing that we sort of have to deal with now that probably wasn't as big of a thing back then. You, You could put out something like this and just be like true to your vision that you had
0: so at this point we'll start getting into our playthrough so this game's not even like diablo 2 where you have this open world concept where you're roaming between towns and maps you have your one town of tristram which has been obviously infected and then you kind of go down a level from one to two to three to four all the way down until you get to diablo and then you just win the game which is really kind of cool if you if you defeat diablo which we'll talk about again we're just gonna basically what we did is we took notes on each level, things we observed, art, battles, characters, anything noteworthy that we wanted to talk about, as well as certain interactions in town. And we feel that going through the playthrough, at least generally in terms of things that had happened, may lead to different discussions about the franchise, different discussions about the actual game itself, to kind of highlight, because there is so much good content in terms of the actual story behind Diablo that we do want to cover here. And so when you get the game from GOG, because again it's the only source that you can get it from, you basically—I actually had to research this because you get basically the Hellfire expansion, and I didn't want that. I wanted the original Diablo. I had never heard of the Hellfire expansion, never bought it, anything like that. Because again, I got the game from my friend early on, Diablo one, and then my next game was then Diablo two. So obviously he must not have gotten the Hellfire expansion, or I just didn't see him play it, so I didn't even know it existed. You know, without the ability to search. On Google and whatnot. I just didn't know it existed. And so when you go to GOG, you get Diablo Hellfire version. And I'm like, I don't want this. And so I was nervous. I was searching. Turns out you can choose, actually. It's really cool. You can choose what you want to do. And so basically there's like the original Diablo, Diablo with patches, Hellfire. So I just went with the original vanilla Diablo because that was the experience that I wanted. This is the one that would exist on the you know the CD that you would buy. I made a sorcerer named Paul. So I'll throw it to you as to, because obviously I th- you made a slightly different choice. So I want to hear about your choice and kind of the preface of of what your journey is going to look like.
1: Well, one thing that I did not do differently is that I also picked a sorcerer and this was basically, you know, I, at first I thought, okay, maybe I'll try to play a rogue. Uh, I played a few levels as the rogue and I was like, yeah, but I feel like there's not as much to talk about here because The other classes, you know, you've got your warrior and you've got your rogue. Uh, You know, the warrior is what he sounds like. He's a dude with a sword. The rogue is a woman that shoots a bow and arrow. And I do like bow and arrow combat. I play those sorts of characters in games like Skyrim quite a lot. But in this case, you're really just spamming an attack. You're just hitting the attack button over and over again. But with the sorcerer, you have a lot more decisions to make because you're switching between spells constantly and you have to adapt to different types of enemies. And so I also went with the Sorcerer. Uh, In the Hellfire expansion, they added a new type of class. There's actually a monk that you can play as in there. And so, you know, the monk is sort of like another hand-to-hand type of character character. And that's something that, you know, I just wasn't super interested in. You know, the Hellfire expansion also added in a couple of extra dungeons. Uh, They happened outside of the main dungeon. Each of them had four levels to them. And so there were additional quests that went along with those new dungeons as well. And, you know, there were some minor changes. Like, they added some different items into the game and that sort of thing. But overall, I mean... I'm glad I played with the Hellfire expansion because it just gives you more content. It was interesting to be in a couple of dungeons outside of the primary one. There's basically, the first one is called The Nest, and it sort of reminds me of like something out of the movie Alien, very much like this insect-based sort of dungeon. And then you go into a crypt dungeon for like the second half of it, They were good to extend the life of the game, give you a little extra content. But the main feature is still that primary dungeon, which like you were saying, you know, you go level to level and it goes the whole way down to level 16. So this is a pretty long process getting down floor to floor. And when you start, you don't even have a way to get back to town uh, unless you happen to find a scroll That lets you cast that spell, the town portal scroll. So, in some cases, you're backtracking. And that's another element of just old game design. That's just how it was. The other thing I like
0: about this old game design is when you backtrack, units don't respawn. So, it really is roguelike in the sense that you can't just farm to level up. Like, you're kind of, there's a certain amount of units you can kill, and then you're kind of done. So that was always really interesting to me. It's like, yeah, you, you can walk without really any issues. And so that's nice. But at the same time, if you find a, an enemy difficult, you're kind of messed because you can't go back and farm to become overpowered doing random side quests, which you typically see now, which which again adds significantly to the difficulty. So I'm glad you mentioned about the sorcerer. And it was, it was kind of a challenge to me, but I also kind of enjoyed it was the idea of, you're right, you have one, I had one hot key which was attached to my right-click mouse. And then in order to switch a spell, I'd actually have to hit the S button for spell and then click a new spell to rebind to the right key. So it's like if I wanted to switch from Firebolt to Lightning because of a certain resistance, I had to then click the S key to click it back. So it was like constantly maneuvering back and forth. So it was kind of challenging to me. It it made it more interesting and more fun.
1: Yeah, I don't know if this was just on the expansion or if you could do it on the vanilla game, but in my case, I found out that you could actually bind spells to the F row of keys. So you can't use all of them because the F buttons have other functions in the game, but there were four of the buttons that you could map a spell to. So I was able to click between four different spells at a time, and then even then, I I had to rebind them quite a lot because even with the four you're switching quite considerably, especially as you get later into the game and enemies start to resist stuff. So if you have a bunch of fire spells that are set to go, you've got to switch them out with something different. So, uh, But that made it a little bit easier.
0: Oh, that's great, yeah. I mean, that may have been in the game, I just didn't know about it. It could also be a Hellfire quality of life change that they added because that definitely would make things a lot easier to be able to scroll through like that. But, hey, you know, for me, I liked it. You know, it kind of reminded me of StarCraft trying to manipulate units. I was using all my micros and stuff. Felt really pretty cool. Felt like I was using more skill than a warrior where you're, like you said, you're just left clicking over and over and over again.
1: Man, when you mentioned your micros... I couldn't help but have a flashback of the internet series Pure Ownage, which sadly met its demise and uh, does no, no longer exists. Uh, at least, as new episodes, anyway. It's been quite a long time. They even made a one season of like a of a show based on it too. At one point, it was basically this internet show about just playing like multiplayer games, pretty much. So, uh, yeah. So I think that uh, the bindings uh, they are helpful. You're still using a lot of micro either way. You've got to have skills, you've got to move quick in this game. Because the enemies, they're pretty relentless. I mean, at the beginning it might seem like, oh, this isn't that bad. But man, when you get down to those lower levels, those enemies, they are brutal. And when you're playing with magic, they have so many resistances and immunities. It can be a real slog. I had a rough time getting through the last
0: levels of this game especially as a sorcerer you're basically getting like three or four hit by these units and so you almost want to manipulate it's fog of war as you're exploring and then you basically almost want to like draw the enemies away to deal with them one at a time because you're getting three or four shot but at the same time some of these units i mean their range is insane archers spellcasters, et casters etc and so it's kind of hard to do that and so yeah plenty of deaths plenty of challenges i'm excited to hear your journey When we begin in the town of Tristram, just as a generalized thing, this is the one town you have, right? So every character in there has a certain purpose, has a certain mission, etc. You interact with them to buy certain things, buy goods, and learn about different quests, talk to them. They will update their text based on the different quests that you have and what you're doing. And so when you start in the town, you get this amazing town music. You can meet different characters. I'm going to go through each character and kind of describe slightly what they do. And then Matt, obviously you can add context to different things, different characters that you are connected with here. But we have Deckard Kane. Hello, my friend. Stay a while and listen. He's the guy that will be identifying items. So rare or unique items that you have, you have to go to him to identify. So there's some hype there in terms of what you're getting. There's Pepin, who's the healer. What ails you, my friend? He's the guy who's going to be selling you potions of healing. And he's also going to be able to heal you once you get to town. And he can sell you certain elixirs. Griswold is the blacksmith. Whoa, what can I do for you? He repairs your weapons and armor. They have durability, so you do have to repair them. You have a boy named Wirt, the peg-legged boy over here who sells you rare items these are super expensive rare items he only has one at a time and you have to pay to even see what he has behind it but if you get lucky you might get a good weapon from him farnum's in town he's the town drunk and a fellow drinking peace so he's always interesting to talk to you have gillian who's the town barmaid good day how may i serve you adria the witch I sense a soul in search of answers. She sells you mana potions, your staffs, your scrolls. That's who you go to as a sorcerer, especially. That's our go-to person. She can also recharge staffs. And then finally, you have Ogden, who owns the actual bar himself, who owns the town bar. Thank goodness you returned. The church at the edge of town has been desecrated and is being used for dark rituals. And he tells us of, in at least the beginning, of these different... Dark rituals occurring at a nearby church, and that the screams he has heard are inhuman. And that kind of begins the entire quest of Diablo. It was this conversation with Ogden about where these screams are coming from? It's obviously to the north in some church.
1: Yeah, so Deckard Cain, personal favorite, the man sounds like Sean Connery. I mean, just without the Scottish accent, but he he has the same tone of voice, and that goes a long way for me. I will also mention that Adria, she is our go-to as the sorcerer, like you said. One thing that's interesting is that when you go to Pepin, when you talk to him, he automatically heals your health. But when you talk to Adria, she does not replenish your mana. So you have to always buy mana potions if you want to get your mana back. That's a little bit annoying, to be honest, but it's... I guess it makes sense. You know, she's a witch. She's probably not going to be giving us anything for free here. One other interesting relationship is that we find out from some of these townspeople that apparently Griswold at one point in time actually had to go into the labyrinth in order to save Wirt. And so Wirt, again, was that boy that you mentioned. It's interesting. We don't, Unless I missed it, I don't think we got a ton of context here as to what exactly happened. But Griswold, at least at some point, must have been sort of an adventurer on his own right. Perhaps he took an arrow to the knee, and now he ends up working at the blacksmith shop here that he owns.
0: Well, I'll kind of go to the next part of our journey. It talks a little bit about Griswold, but again, we want to follow these voices, these screams, To the church. So we end up going to the church. And we see a dying man covered in blood on the ground. And he tells us that the Archbishop Lazarus led him and other town folks down there into a trap with the Butcher.
2: Now everyone is dead. Killed by a demon he called the Butcher. Avenge us. Find this Butcher and slay him. So that our souls may finally rest.
0: When you go to click on him again after that dialogue... You have this epic voice saying,
2: your death will be avenged.
0: And that's our character. Again, the voice acting here is phenomenal. Once you talk to this man and he passes, you get your quest. It's the butcher. And so you can now go back to town and talk to different townspeople to see what they think about the butcher. And so that's what I did. I went back to kind of Get other people's opinions. This now connects back to the Griswold thing you had said. And we had learned that Griswold said the butcher used a cleaver as big as an axe. And Griswold saw him cutting up his friends to pieces before he was able to escape upstairs. So we know Griswold's definitely an adventurer. We know that Wert escaped but lost his leg to the butcher. I know more than you think about that grizzly thing. His little friends got a hold of me and managed to get my leg before Griswold pulled me out of that hole. And then we also learn from Cain that Lazarus had sent everyone down there to find Lazarus's missing son, and then he abandoned them to the butcher.
1: This is also the reason that Farnham is now a town drunk, because if you talk to him, he says that his friends were killed by the butcher.
2: Big, big cleaver killing all my friends! <laughs> Couldn't stab him. Had to run away. Couldn't save them. Trapped in a room with so many bodies. So many friends. No! And
1: essentially, it drove him to insanity slash drinking as a result. So, yeah, lots of backstory here all around this butcher character. And I will say that he's easily one of the most memorable characters
0: in the game. So once we have these conversations with the townsfolk, we begin our journey. And just to give some premise, because I feel like this will be important for the entirety of what we're discussing. We're both using Sorcerers. So we start off with the spell Firebolt, which is basically a little bolt to fire. We shoot it out. It goes across the screen, hits whatever we see. You get 100 gold to start. And so you have certain slots. Again, Recent Diablos have expanded this massively. But here, basically, I got a basic skull cap for my head. You have a cape, which is basically what you wear for your chest. You have your slots for your healing potions, which I stacked up on. You have two ring slots, which we don't have yet. One amulet slot, which we don't have yet. And then you have two hands that you use. And so, as staff users... And I'm curious, maybe you went a different route. I pretty much used the staff the whole time. So I basically, you get one staff and and that's all the gear we have. So we don't have earrings. We don't have even, we don't even have boots in this. We don't have scarves, anything like that. Yeah. I
1: rocked the staff the whole time. And when you first go in there, I mean, I didn't even buy anything, I, had, I just went right in, and so it's one of those things where you're hoping to scavenge from the enemies, because they're going to be dropping items. Inside the dungeon, there are these sorts of tombs and barrels around, and you can break them and open them, and sometimes money and items will fly out of them. The barrels, though, sometimes blow up in your face, and when you're playing as a sorcerer, you have like zero health. So at a certain point, I actually just stopped even hitting the barrels because it wasn't worth it. You know, I got most of my gear from stuff that I could open like chests or from the item drops from the enemies
0: themselves. Yeah, buying gear was a mistake on my part. Basically, in this level one, I got four cape drops. So the original cape that I had bought, I got four. And Kind of a waste. And that's basically what you find. You get a lot of common items. Probably shouldn't have done that. But again, I I was entering for the first time, trying to figure out what to do here. And interesting part about the game is we both went staffs. So staffs, basically, we can use because we're pumping into magic. So you have magic as a stat. When you level up, you get five attribute points to use. You decide how to allocate them between strength, which gives you better attack power dexterity, which gives you better dodge chance and attack percent hit chance. You get vitality, which will increase your health. And you get magic, which is going to increase your magic points and magic damage. So you kind of have to allocate, and that's all you get with level ups. There's no talent tree, anything like that. And so typically what I would do is I would get like three magic, one vitality, one dexterity. And that's basically what I went with. But if you wanted to do something like a sword and shield as a sorcerer, you would have to have a certain amount of strength to actually equip those things. And so you're putting in points to strength that don't really help you because you're getting attack per hit and you typically just want to use your spells. And so did you find yourself leveling up in a similar way or were you going, you know, obviously I guess you're a staff person you weren't doing sword and shield, right?
1: No, man. (laughs) I mean, I, uh, I pumped, I I always pumped it all in pretty much, All into one thing, like all five points into one thing. And so typically, you know, I just put it into magic. I put some level ups into like a little bit into strength, a little bit into dexterity, um, just because there are certain items, even as a sorcerer, that you need like a little bit extra to be able to use. Uh, I put a little bit into vitality just so I wasn't getting one shot all the time. But primarily my levels, I just pumped it all into magic. One thing that I really need to explain is that in this game, you do not learn magic spells the way that you do in pretty much any other RPG anymore. Which is that when you level up, you do not get a new spell. And there is no skill tree where you can select a new spell. It's all random. You find spell books in the dungeon that you can read, and you need to have your magic to a certain level to read them. And then you can sometimes buy them in the town from Adria. But otherwise, you're not getting any spells. So you need to actually find the spells or have enough money to buy the spells. And some of these spell books are quite pricey. Um, Sardo would be just rubbing his grubby hands together, thinking about all the gold that he'd make off of these purchases. What's basically happening here is. It's all random, random drops, you know, and sometimes you'll go into a room in the dungeon. It'll be sort of like a library room where there will be shelves with books you can search and pedestals, lecterns with books you can search, and you'll be able to maybe get some spells, but you also get doubles a lot. Like in this very first level, I found two books of search in the first level so i learned one and then i had to sell the other one got 750 for it that's a lot at the early game yeah so so you're at the mercy of the random drop here
0: and for example i don't know what that spell is i never got that spell and i got two of them and so i had a similar library i got three books i got holy bolt which is good for it's like a firebolt for the undead healing, and another firebolt spell. So, kind of what Matt said about getting spells, if you get an additional one, you can use that book to get level 2 of the next spell. So, it costs a little bit more mana, but you get a lot more damage. But then the magic requirement's higher. And I was expecting these types of libraries every floor. Nope, doesn't happen. It's like this is the best library I ever saw because I didn't see a lot of spells. I mean, the fact that I don't even know what search is, I'm assuming there's not a level two search or a level three search spell that you would no. use or anything like that, you know? Yeah, no,
1: it's, 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 I never used it. It's It basically just highlights objects on the ground because that's another thing in this game. When When stuff drops on the ground, you don't like automatically pick it up. Like when you walk over gold, you don't pick up the gold. You have to click on the gold in order to pick it up. And you have to click on the items in order to pick them up. And there are no natural highlights or outlines around these objects. They're just on the ground. And so it's actually very easy to just not see a thing. Because it is a dark game. There's like bodies everywhere as you're going around killing everything. And so when you use the search spell, it'll highlight. And also on your map, it'll sort of like mark that there's a thing on the ground and you can pick it up but it's temporary you know so you have to keep casting it if you want to keep seeing so i i, I typically just didn't even
0: use it so i got wind water and fire and you got heart is what you're telling me 100
1: <laughs> <100%. laughs> that seems like
0: you got the shaft here level
1: one. Oh man well i was using you know i had i did find a cloak five armor on that cloak I was just fighting with my staff. I didn't find anything else of note. It was really these books and then the cloak. So I still didn't have anything on my head. And I certainly did not have any rings
0: or amulets. That's going to take a while. Yeah, this level one's a bunch of skeletons and goblin creatures that are kind of like really small. But they kind of looks like they're picking at you with some kind of blade of some sort. And I enjoyed the roguelike nature of this, where basically you're trying to like isolate units, use corridors to your benefit. Like you said, a lot of staff attacks because you're kind of short on mana. Um, you know, Firebolt is basically, at this point, able to one-shot a lot of these units if you connect with it. And then even then, you only get about 14 uses in your entire mana bar. So you're constantly using mana potions. You don't want to go back. You want to keep pushing. And so it's, it's this interesting idea of, yeah, maybe use your health a little bit maybe use some staff attacks a little bit and yeah, the, uh, again, they hit so hard. And so it's, it is beneficial. You mentioned Cape with five armor. It's like, that's why there's some benefit. And it puts some points into strength because eventually you you can get things like leather armor and scale armor and chain armor. Yeah. Not full plate armor, but like significantly better armor upgrades for just a wee bit amount of strength. And it's definitely beneficial to help you cast your spells Very interesting idea of how to manipulate the attributes to be the best mage you can, because you want to be able to survive enough without getting one shot while dealing the most amount of damage, and you have a finite amount of experience, so it really is interesting about how you decide to itemize and get experience. So Diablo is interesting in that you have a, a certain map of a floor, and you can go to the second floor once you discover the stairs. So sometimes you'll find staircases right away, and you can go down to the next floor, What i was doing in my playthroughs is going around everything because i want to get as much experience as i can and so that's what i did here i explored all of floor one into floor level two and this is the first room to me that is like this is a different game because it's like you said matt tons of dead bodies cut up you got people impaled and it's just insane this is the first time i ran into a unique mob basically this golden texted character who just is insanely strong. And so this guy was named Mob Deadeye, and he's just this archer that just shreds you. (laughs) Insanely. So really cool fights. Got my first rare axe, which is really cool. So that means you do have to go and identify it. And then you do get these yellow slash gold objects, which are the legendary uniques that you also have to identify. And yeah, this was just like, it was a very scary level for me. Going around trying to realize I don't have infinite heals like in the other Diablos where you have unlimited potions. You just have to wait a cooldown to get them back. Here, it's like I had a certain amount before I had to go all the way back up to town. And like that was enough incentive for me alone. Like a 30 second journey to go back to town, have to buy these potions. Nah, I don't want to do that. That's not fun. So I kept trying to go room to room as careful as I could. Honestly, it was pretty scary at times. This, I got my first unique shortbow drop from a unique skeleton called Keen Axe. And it was really awesome. I and mean, it's an awesome item, but it was an axe. So, you know, plus 50% chance to hit pretty good for early items. Can't use it though, but it'll sell for a lot. And this is the level where I decided to try the Butcher. <sighs> fresh meat. Because I did see a room that had the Butcher and I went into it. He three shot me in like no time. I couldn't, there's nothing I could do to manipulate it. So I said, you know what? I'm done. I'm moving on. But he does have that iconic line and it just scares you. And then he, he's got like 10 X speed running at you with that cleaver and you really can't dodge it. And so I just said, Oh, I'm done. That's my level two.
1: No, I mean, my level two was pretty similar. I, I also, Did what you did, which is that for every level of the game, I went through every nook of the dungeon and killed every enemy that I possibly could. When I got down to level 2, I also ran into a unique enemy. His name was Puke Rat. Puke Rat, uh, when I finally took him down, I did get a unique item, and it was a cloak that had light radius and fire resistance. Nothing that exciting either. Light radius, just meaning that you can see further, and the fire resistance that you would not get hurt as badly by fire. So, I put it on, because what else did I have? It was better than my other cloak. I also ran into the butcher's room here. I thought in my hubris that I could take him on, so I, I went in there and just got slaughtered, as everyone else did who encountered the butcher. His room is horrifying. It's just filled with bodies that are, like, impaled. And it's just blanketed with blood, like, the whole room. It's pretty bad. So the Butcher, uh, he just destroyed me right away. And so I decided to bypass him once I loaded up again. And I ended up just going down to level 3. And that was sort of... I was like, okay, I'm going to level up before I try to take this guy on again.
0: Yeah, so looking at my notes, it literally says... Decided to try butcher. He three shot me. Ha ha. Time to level up a bit before fighting him. Those are my exact notes. So similar mindset here.
1: <laughs> yeah, a bit. Definitely.
0: Yeah. Ha-ha. I don't even
1: remember at this point like when I did go back. So I'm curious in the notes to see how much I leveled up before I finally killed him, because <laughs> I do not remember. Probably
0: when you're OP. <laughs> That's my guess. Yeah. Yeah, probably. <laughs> so moving on to level three here, there are, I died a ton of times here. There are these El Chucacabras that are these like little zerglings, man, and they just hit so hard. And they never missed. I mean it's just like and when you get hit, you get stunned. So you can't respond with running away. Usually I'll run back, try to use potions, or maybe stun them with a spell. Nope. Just like once they get you, boom, 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 you're dead. And Incredibly difficult. There are also these red skeletons and archers that I feel must have had firebolt resistance. So another thing about these units is you don't know anything about them. But as you kill more, you learn certain qualities about them, and it's their resistances. So you can learn, are they resistant to fire, lightning? So early on, you kind of have to ascertain that when you're casting a million firebolts against them, that they're either immune or resistant. They're red skeletons, so I guess maybe I should have assumed that they were resistant to Firebolt. But I did have Lightning at this time, so I switched to Lightning, and things got better. I guess at this point it was Charged Bolt, which shoots out basically like three little blips of Lightning that kind of scatter around the room, and you can kind of spam it to fill the room with Lightning attacks, but that worked. I actually decided to try a bow here, so I actually went with that unique bow. because I was like, yeah, hey, it's my first unique bow. This is the unique I got from uh, Keenax. Had 50% chance to hit, so I was like, oh yeah, it's pretty good. It's going to be able to save my mana. I'll be able to snipe these creatures. Didn't work. I mean, it was way too slow, very little damage, didn't really do anything. Ended up going back to staff, higher damage, and to get the magic bonus. This is the first level that really made me crave a town portal. Instead of having to go back two floors, back to town, all the way to Adria... I really wanted a town portal. And again, that's what Diablo did with uh, Diablo 3, Immortal, and 4. You just press a button, you have automatic TP. So they're like, oh yeah, here's your pain and suffering, let me fix that. But again, it's it's kind of the suffering that makes it worthwhile too at the same time. Because it's like getting that town portal scroll or spell means so much more. Not having it. And so this was the first level where I was like, man, I really wish I had a town portal that I could use. but I was waiting for that scroll or spell to be able to use it.
1: The town portal thing took me a little bit to even get used to again. And I kept hoping that I would find a book of it so that I'd be able to, like, you know, actually just use it at will. And I did not find one for a long time. So I was, and you had to always be careful that you had an extra scroll because if you used your one scroll to get to town and then you, forgot to buy another one, you go back into the dungeon, you can't get back out unless you go up the stairs or you find another scroll. So uh, I was very careful to always have an extra one on me. Otherwise, you know, you'd be walking back and back. And I mean, it's it's something about that trip. It's not even a far trip, but it's like you just don't want to have to go back out of the dungeon. You just want to keep going. Now, regarding the third level, I wanted to point out here that there is a very important quest that you can run into. Uh, it deals with the Skeleton King. His name is King Leoric. The warmth of life has entered my tomb. Prepare yourself, mortal, to serve my master for eternity. <laughs> Did you happen to get this quest in your
0: playthrough? Eventually, but not at this time.
1: Okay, so for me, at level 3, there is a spot... In that level where I could enter into a separate sort of crypt and you go in and it's this room that's just filled with skeletons and you're fighting your way through them you get up to the top of the room and all of a sudden this giant skeleton with like a huge sword and this terrifying looking crown he like rushes at you I'm not gonna lie when I first went in there I got killed and it was pretty rough but I remembered something. There was a spell that I had access to, Holy Bolt. And I remembered that Holy Bolt is super effective against undead enemies. So I went back in and I was using the Holy Bolt. I had tons of mana potions and I was just spamming Holy Bolt everywhere, left and right. And it took him down fast. Like you can really crush him if you have Holy Bolt. And when he goes down, He drops the crown. And, you know, when you look at the crown, it's this, like, sort of unique item. It's much better than, like, any sort of cap or anything that you would have picked up at that point in time. I think my armor on it was, like, I think it was, like, somewhere around, like, 10. I don't remember exactly. Maybe 12. But, anyway, I equipped that, no doubt. And overall, you know, taking him down... Uh, he's really the first, like, major boss that I encountered, other than the Butcher. But the Butcher it was still, he's still up there on the second floor. And that was really eating away at me. I just kept thinking, man, I left him behind up there. And I was exploring level three some more after having killed Laoric. And I ran into another library so, there were a bunch of scrolls in there, I got a healing spell, I also got a reflection spell. The healing spell is very helpful, because now you don't have to buy healing potions. You could just buy mana potions and then use the healing spell. So my character is up to level 10. When I first encountered the Butcher, I was actually only level 5. I had doubled in level at this point, and this was just from going down to level 3 and killing Leoric. And so I decided to head back upstairs. I went back up to that room, that horrific butcher room that's up there. I spammed the guy with fire bolts. I did still have healing potions in my inventory at this point, and I had my healing spell that I could now use. So I would spam him with fire bolts. I'd sort of run away and like try to heal, and then I'd hit him some more. Eventually I dropped the guy. <laughs> The spirits of the dead are now avenged. And when you finish off the butcher, he drops his cleaver. Unfortunately, I can't really use the cleaver because I'm a sorcerer. So I take that with me back up to town, sell it to Griswold after I get it inspected. But now at least I have some cash. So here's hoping that I run into some better magic books
0: eventually. So they go to King Leoric kind of interesting i actually just never that entire experience i never had with the skeleton room so i wonder if that's a hellfire thing for me i actually stumbled upon him my first experience with him was just like talking to townspeople so i went to go and when you talk to townspeople you can say talk to the person or get further and then there's a quest king Leoric. so that was the first time i ever heard about this king Leoric in general and basically you know you hear about this king who went to go save his son and then finding out his son was dead basically went crazy. Went into madness, put a, tried pers- putting a curse on the town, and then was killed by the townspeople. This is where things take an even darker twist than I thought possible. Our former king has risen from his eternal sleep and now commands a legion of undead minions within the
2: labyrinth. His body was buried in a tomb three levels beneath the cathedral. Please, good master. Put his soul at ease by destroying his now cursed form.
0: And then that's kind of his storyline. So that was the first time I had heard of it, and I'd never seen him before then. So I first learned of the quest through the townspeople. But that's amazing with the butcher that you went at level 10. I did not go to explore the butcher until level 4 of the dungeon, at level 9 character-wise. So yeah, it sounds like you had a lot of epic adventures at your dungeon level 3. And so, I had not done any of that when I went into my dungeon level 4. Here, basically, was very interesting with these uh, Moon Clan archers. They're kind of these, like, satyr-type characters. And they're these bat familiars, like little mini-bats. Here, I got a leather armor upgrade going from my cape of a 4 armor to 13. And I got my first Town Portal (laughs) scroll, which felt really good. And it's kind of like what you mentioned about the healing spell... It's very good where you can basically just use full mana potions at this time. I actually got a shrine that gave me full rejuvenation potions, which does full health and full mana, which is pretty bougie at the time. And the spell telekinesis, which I guess lets you teleport an item to another spot. I never used it. So again, we're talking about useless books here. It was at this point that I went back down to the butcher. So my character, so I'm on dungeon level four, character level nine. Went back to fight the Butcher and was able to defeat him. Pretty cool fight. I mean, it was basically just spamming Firebolts, running back, using healing spells, healing potions, running back, spamming Firebolts. And yeah, unfortunately with the Cleaver, you want to use it, but you can't. And so it just ends up being good money. And yeah, I then went back to town and for whatever reason, and maybe your experience was different. With the butcher, I didn't get to experience like any narration around it at all. Like none of the characters had any updated dialogue about the defeat of the butcher. Anything like that was it different for you? Where they actually were like, "Hey, congratulations for saving the yeah. souls from the butcher." Or anything like that?
1: No, I didn't hear anything. It, I, I, no, I, at least if I, I if I did, I didn't write it down. I I don't remember anything different happening there. The only thing that I do remember that I forgot to say. Is that also on level three? I did pick up a hard leather armor, which was worth 12 armor de- rating or uh, defense on that one. So, but other than that, yeah, I mean, I just sold the cleaver and it was like nothing ever happened otherwise. Now, as far as like my level four, I did also pick up the telekinesis book, which I, I don't know really if that's that useful. Maybe some people can use it somehow, but for me, I couldn't really find a good place for it. I also picked up a Charged Bolt book, uh, which is a pretty good one, because that's a lightning spell that little bursts of lightning sort of travel out from you, like along the floor, and they can basically shock different enemies in different places. And then there's an Inferno book that I got, which is sort of a blast of flame, It doesn't move as far as a firebolt, which travels the whole way across the room. It just sort of goes out in front of you for a few squares and hits stuff that's in your immediate area. I didn't use that one too much either, but the charged bolt I definitely kept coming back to. I also ran into... A quest. It was a signpost quest.
2: I was awakened during the night by a scraping sound just outside of my tavern. When I looked out from my bedroom, I saw the shapes of small demon-like creatures in the inn yard. After a short time, they ran off, but
0: not before stealing the sign to my inn.
1: Basically, the tavern keeper, Ogden, he essentially just needed his signpost back. And so somehow, you know, I had to go down there. And I had to find the signpost for him. I think you ran into a similar thing here. So did you succeed in returning the signpost? Yes,
0: yeah, so you end up on level four of the dungeon running into this goblin type character. Again, really small. He's got these axes, cl- these like round blades. And his name is Snotspill. And he's this goblin unit. He gives you a quest to find... This magic banner, he calls it.
2: You get me magic banner, or we attack!
0: You'll not live with life! And so you end up finding this magical banner. It ends up being the tavern sign from Ogden. And the whole point was that these goblins had ended up taking the sign from Ogden, bringing it down with them. Then the demons stole the sign from them. And so the goblins got us to then take the sign back from the demons to return it to them. And then, hey... The goblins are here now. We have their sign that they stole from Ogden, and they try to kill us. So you get this really cool battle with these goblin-type characters. And so it's this interesting side quest. At the end of the day, Ogden gets his tavern sign back, and so all is well and good.
1: <laughs> there, There is a pretty good sense of humor in this game. Like, we talked about how dark and horrific it can be, but there's also sort of a dark humor to it as well, which is, is pretty great in this quest. As a result of this quest, I ended up with an item that was called the Gladiator's Ring. And it would move 40% of your health to your mana. So it meant that I was weaker physically, but I had more mana. So I had to use it. I put it on. This is my first ring. And
0: now I've got more of a mana pool, but I've got to watch my back. That's pretty OP. I did not get that. I have nothing in my notes about what I got. So it must have been some like random rare unit I sold, for, you know, with Griswold or whatever. I don't know. It's like when I f- when you first said that I thought maybe it was like a mana shield type thing where it used ha- used your mana for health. But you're saying it took away your max health for mana. I don't know, man. That seems risky. I don't know that I would do that cuz it's like you have unlimited healing with your healing spell and your full mana potions. So I'm interested to see like how long you keep this ring because I don't know that I would use that right away. But I guess again, given the fact that you have no rings and you got this cool drop, you gotta try it, right?
1: Yeah, you've got to give it a shot. I stuck with it for a while, actually. Yeah, it, it was, you know, it was a drop. I wanted to try it out. And so it's not that easy to get these rare drops in this game. I think that's something that if you've played Diablo 2 or later. You get drops all the time. In this game, they're pretty rare. Like, the loot is not as common. Uh, You don't get as much of it as you might expect. You've got limited inventory space. You have to fit everything into that space in order to get it back up to town. And then a lot of the times, stuff drops that you just can't use because it's not meant for your class that you have. And so a lot of it you're just selling. You know, you're selling it back to Griswold.
0: Yeah, and that's especially interesting you mentioned. So we're now moving on to Dungeon Level 5 here. The first thing that comes to my mind is that exact concept about identifying items. It's essential. I know it seems kind of silly, but like as you had said, recent Diablos, you get a million rare items. You get a million legendary items, a million unique items. It's like you have to get the special epic. It's just they bogged it down. Because they're like, oh, people like drops, so let's give them a million drops. And it's like, no, scarcity is what makes it. And so here, basically, I was kind of like, my mind was clouded from playing Diablo Immortal. I know rares aren't good. I know, honestly, most uniques aren't good. Unless it's legendary, I don't really care about it. That was kind of my mindset going into this. So this was the dungeon where I got an axe, and I identified it, and it was a swift axe that let you attack quicker. That was it. And for 100 gold, you have to pay Kane to identify it. The axe went for 1700 bucks, which at this time was astronomical. And I'm like, what? So it really changed my mindset about, Hey, I should probably be picking up all these rare items and identifying them. But at this point, I was like literally leaving them on the ground, not even bothering to pick them up. I know you're the you know, as we talked about the Toy Story episode, you know, you're the penny, dime, master. At this point, <laughs> I, I, I was so, I'm so used to Diablo 3 and Diablo Immortal. I literally just, I had so many rare items I just never picked up. Because I was like, oh, they're not going to be worth that much.
1: Wow, I can't believe that, man. Like, I maybe I remembered it from back in the day, but I yeah, I was picking up everything. And you really need that because you there aren't really that many items that are like unique even like the crown or the cleaver you know a lot of them are just rare you know blue items and that's the majority of what you find are those types of items other than your common items but if you're looking for ones with with magic properties yeah i mean you've got to pick those up you know when i went down to like the fifth level I did also run into a couple of enemies that had resistances and immunities. There were a couple of bats that had this property to them, and that can be really annoying because you have to switch up your spells, but it makes the game a little bit more interesting, a little bit more challenging. There was also something there on level 5 that was a pedestal of blood, which I opened up and clicked on. And there was also a Book of Blood with that. There was an item called a Blood Stone that I had gotten before, because I killed some demons, some horned demons down there on level 5, and they had dropped this thing called the Blood Stone. And once I deposited that stone in the spot with this pedestal and the book, it meant that I was able to go up into this hallway that was otherwise totally closed there was no way to get into it it basically opened it up and in there i found an item called arcane's valor
2: but it is said that the ancient hero arcane placed the holy armor valor in a secret vault arcane was the first mortal to turn the tide of the sin war and chase the legions of darkness back to the burning hells
1: so arcane's valor is this armor. It's a ring mail, and it has an armor class of 25. It gives you plus 10 to vitality, minus three damage from enemies, fast hit recovery, and there are no requirements to wearing it. So you can put it on even as a mage. And this was a game changer for me at this point. I mean, I was still rocking a cape. I've got this legit
0: armor and felt pretty good. So I have this in my level 6 notes, and it's Arcane and the Armor of Valor, question mark. And it's a quest in town, and that's all I got. So, um, seems like I missed out on something pretty big here. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. See, I don't
1: think I even had the quest. I think I just ran into it when I was uh, on the level.
0: Yeah, I feel like I explored it, but I, I, I only heard about it in town from the quest. Them talking about this random armor and... Seems like a big whiff on my part here. <laughs> yeah, you would mentioned these bad creatures on level 5, and they're called Foul Wings, and they're really OP. I mean, they killed me a few times. They attack so fast. Again, like Zerglings, but they're bats. And basically, if they get within 2 inches of you, they're doing, like, a stunlock attack. Super OP. Um, this is, you know, although I did not have the Arcane and the Armor of Valor, one of these Foul Wings did give me a Studded Leather Armor Unique, which I used. And I actually pumped 5 Strength in from next level up just to be able to use it. Really OP. I was glad to be upgraded from my cape days, if you will. And yeah, it's like you said, just use Charged Bolt a lot to deal with things because of resistances and whatnot. I also got the spell Firewall here, which I remember playing in Diablo 1 pretty significantly. Um, I remember basically using Firewall on the Butcher and just like spamming it over a wall in a complete line based on pixels. And if you just spam it enough, units within it just take damage over time. And so you could just do that in a room that you're not even in, that you can't even see due to Fog of War, and still be able to hit the creatures that are in there. And that's going to be a common theme that we see in this playthrough is the idea that you can deal damage to people that aren't on your screen, that may not be able to attack you, but you can kind of kind of amazing with Baldur's Gate a little bit, where you can kind of deal damage to characters that aren't on your screen, that aren't really a threat to you, but if you put something there that can attack them, such as the fire Hydras that we'll talk about later, they can deal damage without you being on screen. And so I remember that spell. Unfortunately, I did not end up really using the spell really at all, because it just doesn't deal the damage that you think it will, and not all that effective. So Charged Bolt was really... My go-to here.
1: Yeah, I mean, regarding the Firewall, I seem to remember that spell as being a lot stronger than it actually is. I don't know why. For some reason, I thought that would be a game changer. But I didn't have it at this point. But when I did get it, I didn't really use it as much as I thought I would. The Charged Bolt, on the other hand... I mean, when I went down to the next level, to level 6, I ran into a unique enemy named Bloodgutter. And he was immune to fire and to Holy Ghost attacks. And so I ended up using the chargeable to take him down. It's one of these things where you have to go trial and error with some of these enemies to figure out what will really work with them. He did drop something called the Ring of the Eagle, which gave me 24 hit points, so that sort of helped to compensate a little bit for my other ring that I was using. There was also a drop from him called the Amulet of Darkness. Now, when I got this amulet, I didn't know what it was at first, so I had to get it identified. I was excited. I was like, all right, I finally found an amulet. Here we go. It gets identified, and the Amulet of Darkness, all it does is reduce your light radius by 40 percent it was a worthless item i could not even sell it for any value and it was just like an a total middle finger from the game here (laughs) like you think
0: i literally never saw a single light radius item in my playthrough plus light radiance would would reduce the fog of war right as you explore it so this legitimately like made that worse. Like you saw less. Correct.
2: <laughs> Correct. Yes.
1: It was, it was this the game just, just totally just being like, Oh, you think you have an amulet? Nope. So I still have no amulet at this point.
0: Well, it'd be good for a Twitch streamer, you know, beat the game with the amulet of yeah. darkness. <laughs> lower yeah. is, I guess <laughs> that's all I can figure.
1: Yeah. Yeah. They predicted Twitch by like, 15 years. <laughs> it's pretty impressive. You know, other than the failure of this amulet here, when I went back to town, I went to Adria and she finally had a book of town portal in her inventory. And so I bought that up immediately. Cost me a cool 3000 gold coins, however. She also had a book of lightning wall for 7000 gold coins which I also picked up. Lightning Wall, I don't really use a lot either, but I was trying to complete my spell book as much as possible here. When I returned to level six from town, I was exploring the floor and I ran into something called the Chamber of Bone book.
2: Beyond the Hall of Heroes lies the Chamber of Bone. Eternal death awaits any who would seek to steal the treasure secured within this room.
1: When I read the book, it opened up some stairs, and I was able to go down into this chamber of bone. Once you get in there, you have to hit a couple of switches in order to open up different doors. There is this sort of middle chamber where there are just skeletons everywhere. It's just filled to the brim with skeletons. And so I just started spamming Holy Bolt. Left and right, just everywhere. I mean, it was dozens and dozens of skeletons coming at you out of this room. When you finally take them all down, I was able to go back into the room that they were all coming out of and explore it. And I found a book in there. It was for the spell Guardian. Now, Guardian is a huge spell, These guys, they're basically these fire hydras, these sort of dragon fire hydra looking guys that you can cast onto the ground. And then whatever square they're in, they don't move, they're stationary. And they will fire bolts of fire out of their mouths and hit enemies around you. And you can cast multiple different guardians at once. You can have like a whole row of them like along the ground. And it's incredibly powerful. I used that spell the whole way through to the end of the game. It's expensive at this point in the game uh, because you don't have a ton of mana. I just got to level 15 after defeating this Chamber of Bone, but this spell is huge. It's a game changer. After this, I left the Chamber, and then I was able to head down to level 7. So, did you get tangled up in this uh, Chamber
0: of Bone while you were doing your level six. Oh yeah, that was the highlight of my level six here. I got two rings here, which is really awesome because I had nothing at this point. I got an 18% resist all ring and a plus 29 mana ring. So <laughs> huge, huge stat upgrades here. I guess it makes me it makes up for my uh my lack of the uh the armor of valor here. Yeah, those are some sick drops. I mean, that, that's that's some really good, uh,
1: good uh, you know stat boosts, especially that resist. Whoo, that's some nice
0: resistance. Yeah, I mean, two rings that a sorcerer needs resist, especially as we will find out with some of these spellcasters, and then yeah, mana you can't go wrong and to have no prior amulets or rings. I mean, at this point you had amulet of darkness. So it's like, it's not even fair for me not to have anything.
1: <laughs> yeah. Amulet of darkness, man. That's I really should have equipped that. I don't know what I was thinking.
0: And yeah, you you know, the guardian spell, it's like you said, it's going to be a hallmark of our journey because it's kind of like firewall, but it's, it's targeted, which is very nice. And yeah, this chamber bone, so epic. Uh, really hard to get through just so the magnitude of skeletons here is astronomical. I had so many deaths here because we're talking like 30 skeletons in on your screen in a room. And a lot of them are archers hitting you from places you don't even see. So you have to be very careful with how you have to do things. And of course they had really good lightning resistance. So you can't just like even spam lightning or charged bolt You have to try to find a way to use the Holy Bolt in a certain way, escape, heal, repeat. And we don't have like a blink or a flash or anything like that at this point, at least, to get out of the room, move on. So very difficult trying to, even with my beautiful studded armor, you know, again, not armor of valor, but studded armor, hard to get through that room without reservation, but it's, yeah, it's, like, it's kind of like a mini game that teleports you, and then when you go back, you go back to level 6.
1: So moving on to level 7, I ended up going back to level 5 because there was a quest that I had missed
2: where you have to find a magic rock. A caravan that was bound for the Eastern Kingdoms passed through here some time ago. It was supposedly carrying a piece of the heavens that had fallen to Earth. The caravan was ambushed by cloaked riders!
1: And if you take this magic rock back up to Griswold, he crafts something for you called the Emphirian Band. And this basically is a ring that does plus two to all attributes, it gives you plus 20% light radius, fast hit recovery, and it absorbs half of trap damage. That is something else that we didn't really talk about, is that there are traps in this game. Like, I mentioned the exploding barrels, but there are different elements where you open a door and a spell hits you, or like, whatever it is. So there are these different trapped elements to the game. After I got that, I went back down to level 7. I was able to use the Guardian spell to a huge amount of effect. There were rooms full of enemies that I could just, without even going into the room. I could just cast the Guardian, and he would just start shooting fire at the guys inside, so that was pretty satisfying. And I also got a Book of Stone Curse. I ended up using that pretty extensively, too, because the Stone Curse just temporarily turns an enemy into stone, so if someone's coming at you, you can give yourself some breathing room. But otherwise, not a whole lot in level 7. Did you have anything happen there?
0: Not a whole lot on level 7. I want to go back a little bit to that rock quest from Griswold. It's kind of like King Leoric for me, where I just went to town, and it was a quest option I had when I hadn't experienced anything. And basically, like with the King Leoric quest, they at least told me Leoric was three levels below the Catacombs. With this rock quest, I really had no idea what was going on. Um, Griswold in this quest, all I have is that he tells of a caravan carrying a stone from the heavens, which was ambushed by thieves. So what part of that, like, how did you find this stone? How did you know to find it? Cause I'm just curious because I was completely at a loss and I never did this quest.
1: So I got the quest from him like you did too. And I just decided to go back and double-check the floors. Like, I I used that. Actually, I said before that I didn't use the search spell. That's not true. I actually used it to find this rock. <laughs> because I went through the levels and cast the search spell to see if I had missed anything. And when I got to level 5, I saw that there was this rock that I hadn't picked up. Because you don't notice it. And then I was like, oh, this is the thing. And so I picked it up and took it back to town. So I guess what I'm saying is that the search spell is OP.
0: Yeah, search is OP. thats I mean, it's so interesting. Like originally doing the episode, you'd think that I got lucky. But at the same time, it seems like with Leoric, with this, there are clearly things you're finding in the game that I I just missed because I, I didn't have the search spell. So very interesting way of looking at... Utility versus damage. Very interesting concepts here.
2: Yeah,
1: I mean, I'm the type that tends to... I tend to prefer just stuff that's powerful. Like, I would like to just have powerful spell, high-level armor with lots of stat boosts. But I was having to make do with what I had here, so I went and I found that stone, and I think Griswold appreciated it. And, And frankly, you know, of all the people in the town... I think Griswold is probably top tier. No one no one above Deckard, of course, but, you know, Griswold, he's kind of like your pal. It seems like he's really rooting for you here. He's really trying to help you out.
0: Yeah, in my tier, I would, uh, yeah, Deckard and then Griswold, for sure. And then I think after that, you know, there's more debate about who you pick.
1: There is. I, I mean, I am an Adria fan, uh, although I wish he would uh, refill your mana. I'm still a little bit uh, unhappy <laughs> about that, but, you know. So yeah, level seven. Uh, not a whole lot there, other than um, some a couple spell books. Once I moved on though to level eight, this is where things kind of get interesting because it's only one floor after this that the whole look of the game changes. But we'll talk about that when we get there. Up till now, we're still going through the same sort of dungeon, the same sort of. You know just stone ruins and that sort of thing lots of arches and old tombs and whatnot on level eight there is a boss there his name is Zar the mad
2: what why are you here all these interruptions are enough to make one insane (laughs) here take this and leave me to my work trouble me no more
1: you run into him because he's in the sort of library room And there are all these scrolls everywhere that you can pick up. But if you try to go to the bookshelf and click on the books that are there, he freaks out and attacks you. Uh,
2: Your curiosity will be the death of you.
1: (laughs) And obviously, I wasn't going to leave any magic books behind. So I click on the bookshelf. He comes after me. I was able to take him down. I used the Guardian as well as just regular magic attacks, but those guardians are, they're OP. When I searched the shelf, I got something called the Book of Berserk, which, again, I never really ended up using, but, you know, again, I'm adding it to my my codex here, to my magic book. There was another unusual thing on the floor that was called the Tale of the Three, it reads glory
2: and approbation to diablo lord of terror and leader of the three my lord spoke to me of his two brothers Mephisto and baal who were banished to this world long ago
1: my lord wishes to bide his time and harness his awesome power so that he may free his captive brothers from their tombs beneath the sands of the east so essentially this book is giving you the lore behind Diablo and his two brothers. You don't really get to meet the brothers in this game. They become enemies in Diablo 2. But in the first game, it's just Diablo. But here we basically have an unholy trinity. We have these three major demons, Diablo and his brothers. So that's just a good bit of the lore that really comes in
0: in the next game. The tale of the three Diablos until the fourth and Diablo Immortal, you know, setting up setting up sequels, great lore. There are random books here throughout the game that, you know, I didn't chart down, but they really add some flavor, everything from the Herodrim to, you know, these brothers, etc., you encounter different lore that was put into the game, and then it was able to spawn a bunch of other different things. And that's always cool to be able to see. Especially in a library, as you're learning about things. This is our the mad character. I guess he's mad, you know, because as you try to learn from his library, as you said, he gets angry. He says, your curiosity will be the death of you as he begins to fight you. And then when you defeat him, you say,
2: I'm sorry, did I break your concentration?
0: So we have some sass here from our character. And very interesting fight here. Basically... He's basically kind of entombed in this library because it's like one little door and then a whole library. And so I just spam charged bolts and was basically able to defeat him with that. I do that whenever I can. Makes a lot of sense to me. He dropped a rare crown only, not a unique. I really wanted a unique from him. Definitely an upgrade from the skull cap. Gave me five armor plus and 31 magic resist. So I had really high magic resist, especially with the ring here. And a book of chain lightning which I don't really know what it does. I still don't know what it does, despite using it a lot. I understand the concept of chain lightning, but it seems like it's going to be a lightning. It's a straight lightning strike that will presumably bounce between different enemies.
1: So for me, you go down from here to level 9, and like I said, the whole game changes as far as the environment because we were no longer in this sort of stone crypt, this man-made sort of crypt. We're now down beneath that. We're basically in this area of lava. There is just lava all over the ground, and it inhibits where you can walk because you can't go over the lava. You have to go around it, and so it really changes the gameplay. You're sort of restricted as far as your movement. There's no longer like tombs or any of that stuff because we are now further below where the man-made element of the crypt is and we're getting basically closer to the underworld here. The only thing that I really encountered uh, that was interesting on this level was a Book of Flash that I picked up, and aside from that, it was really just a change of environment. Uh, I will say that I don't like, one of the few things I don't like about the game is how the environments change as you get further down, because I really preferred being in that sort of classic crypt environment that you're in for the first eight levels where you're finding you know the libraries and the rooms filled with barrels and you've got the sort of human like stone made masonry these interesting buildings like underground like the arches and everything i feel like the environment isn't that interesting once you get into the lava because it's really just like ground and lava and there's like not really cool stuff to look at like there is in the earlier levels. So just from a design point of view, not as cool. Also, it's just sort of goes to that that sort of gothic horror that you're really in. You know, you feel like you're in this because you are and in, in the you know, the sub-levels of this crumbling church that's been corrupted by these devils but now you're just sort of in this whole different type of environment. So I don't know how you felt about the change in look here. uh, And then also just whatever happened to you on level nine. I agree with your perspective.
0: I prefer by far the original levels that we were doing, you know, with the cryptic, the tombs, the skeletons, because that was more realistic to me at this point, obviously though, we are descending into hell and so to me, it's thematically appropriate to do what they do. And so this is actually the beginning of the cave. So originally you have the church and then you go into the catacombs and now we're in the caves. And so if you're in town, you can actually enter the church from level one, the catacombs, and then here level nine is the caves. And so technically, if you're not using town portals, it's a pseudo checkpoint because you can leave without town portal from the town to these different areas. and It's appropriate. I mean, we're getting more towards hell, which is essentially fire, damnation, etc. And they have to make something different and adding the lava and whatever makes sense. For me, it wasn't just, I agree with you about the landscape. It's also the people you're fighting here. You get these gargoyles that are basically these stone creatures and these poison spitters. Again, like these little goblins and they shoot out like green acid towards you. Not a big fan of the creatures you're fighting either. And so thematically, I agree with you that it's definitely not something that's anything that we can understand. But at the same time, it's like we're kind of entering into hell in a way. So maybe we're entering a a place that we're not familiar with.
1: Yeah, I mean, I get why they did it. And I think that that's valid. But I think that, I don't know. I also don't like the lava because... It's, it's just annoying. Like, you get stuck where you have to move in a certain pattern or a certain path. And it makes it harder to get around. Um, you end up having to backtrack more. And it can be strategically annoying because you're sort of stuck as to where you can walk your character. So, it does open up more as we get further down.
0: But these lava levels, they're a little bit restrictive, I think. Now, this is the point, I think, we had discussed the King Leoric quest. And here, entering the lava, I was like, okay, we're going to hell here. And so, why have I not defeated King Leoric? And so, this is actually where I kind of went back. I remembered Ogden saying that three levels below the Catacombs, which is the second tier below the caves of where you can go, is King Leoric. So, I actually went back, and oddly enough, boom, there's a door there that says King Leoric's Tomb that I just never clicked on. I just never clicked on it. And so, boom, I enter into the battle, this epic voice saying, to prepare yourself to serve my master for eternity. Unfortunately, I'm OP at this point. And so basically, you know, lyrics he's still strong, but mainly, mainly he summons other units. And so I like five shot at him with Holy Bolt and that was it. So it was, it was pretty anticlimactic for me, but I did like the idea that even though you couldn't farm units to be better than certain enemies, you could continue on down the journey with the same difficulty and then go back to defeat these different villains. Yeah, I'm all about
1: that. I don't like it whenever a game is a scale to your level. I like to be able to just wreck guys that I had trouble with before. You know, you can go back and you see how much stronger you are. And I think that's the perfect way to do it.
0: Yeah, I'm really glad they didn't scale it. I'm glad that it was very finite. It definitely adds to the challenge and roguelike nature of it, because, you know, typically in games like the ability to go and farm to make things as tough as you want them to be. But here it's kind of like you can manipulate things to go further and then return. But Diablo, the final boss, is going to be the static difficulty. These early bosses like Leoric, Butcher, you can kind of control the level of difficulty you want. So I feel like that was a really good balance, but you had a very good challenge at the same time. The Leoric fight was not epic in any way for me, so that's kind of a downturn, but you had one. And so it's kind of it's mostly up to the user. That was really the hi- I mean honestly the highlight of level 9 for me was the the Leoric fight. I'm um, going down to level 10. Honestly, it's in in the dungeon. It's more of the same. Again, the lava, the battles, trying to figure out how to explore everything while you can't cross the lava, its kind of frustrating. Here, there's actually a, one section of these Poison Spitters, which, again, I, I do not like these units. There was just so many in a row. It was like a Gatling gun of these like acid spitter creatures that just ended me. Uh, this is where I actually was able to use Firewall to really take them down. And this was the first time I ever got an Elixir. So I got an elixir of dexterity, which gave me a one boost in permanently into my dexterity stats. So this is the first time in the game that, that I've learned about the idea of an elixir where you can get permanent stat boosts from a potion. And this kind of led me down, like, could I buy these? Could I find these elsewhere? But this is the first one I ever experienced.
1: Yeah, I definitely uh, I, I have run into them throughout the game. I don't think I marked them down, but... Uh, Yeah, they are permanent, so that's pretty cool. As far as level 10, there was a quest there. Uh, It was called the Anvil of Fury. One of the men who returned from the Labyrinth told me
2: about a mystic anvil that he came across during his escape. His description reminded me of legends I had heard in my youth about the Burning Hellforge, where powerful weapons of magic are crafted.
1: And basically, this Anvil of Fury, it's surrounded by a lot of these enemies that you've mentioned already. And once you get the anvil, you can take it back up to Griswold, and he forges a sword. It's called Griswold's Edge. And unfortunately, once again, can't use the sword because I am a sorcerer. But I did complete the quest. I found a book of flame wave down on level 10, and I also bought some stuff in town. I bought a book of phasing that Adria had. A spell that I really didn't use, but again, I'm filling up my spell book. And then I bought an Amulet of Brilliance, which gave me plus 15 to magic. And a Staff of Sorcery, which gave me plus 19 to magic. So I'm just trying to build up my mana pool here. But yeah, these enemies, especially the spitters, I was getting really tired of them. And when I got down to level 11, I was having a really hard time getting through this level. It was just these enemies, they're just relentless. And, you know, I got a book of Chain Lightning, finally, for 11, which was helpful. But, really, the thing that was really hurting me here was that I never found a Mana Shield book at this point. And Mana Shield is huge for a sorcerer because it lets you take damage out of your mana instead of your health. So, you can take a lot more damage without dying because if you get hit, you know, you have this huge mana pool. It's absorbing that damage. And I eventually do find one, but the whole way down to level 11, I still don't have this book that I need. And Adria is not coming up with it just yet. But yeah, uh, level 11 to me, pretty similar to 10. I don't think I
0: had a whole lot else happen on this one. So with regard to... These, you got another Legendary. And so my Legendary in, in level 11 that stands out is this Legendary Kite Shield, Dragon's Breach. It gives 20 armor. It's indestructible. Main body armor only gives 14, so it would be plus six. Really strong. All these Legendaries are things we can't use. And I've noticed this, it's a common theme here. I'm using like, is probably the staff I had at like level five. I'm noticing a significant lack of Legendary unique staffs or things that benefit mages and sorcerers, right? Is this your experience as well? Because I feel like I'm I'm kind of left out in the dark here because I do have the magic points thing, which I guess helps me ring-wise. Resist all helps everyone, but I'm not getting an epic staff. I'm not getting an epic mage robe. I'm not getting an epic mage hat, anything like that.
1: No, nah, I, I didn't find very much for my character character. A lot of the stuff that I ended up using that was good, I bought from merchants. Uh, like I was just mentioning, like the staff that I bought and the amulet. I didn't have a lot of luck with drops on this. And the quest items seem like they're all geared toward
0: warriors. Yeah, it might be because warriors just don't have the ability to like kite and, and macro or, or like anything. So they just need stronger stuff. I guess that's the thing. Yeah, that very well could be, but it doesn't feel very satisfying. (laughs) Yeah, the merchants are interesting as well. That was the other point I wanted to mention. You know, I, I didn't realize you could buy these types of things from the merchants because like Adria and Pepin both sell elixirs and it's in basic items. So when you look at the menus, it says basic items, premium items, and premium items are like the sorcerer's staff or whatever. But under your basic items, that's where you find the spell books. That's where you find the elixirs. And I you have to scroll down past the full mana potions to even know they sell them. And to me, I'm like, that's not a I don't feel like that's a basic item. Like I I feel like that should be in a separate category. And so that was kind of lost on me until around this level where I started realizing, oh yeah, I could use some money for things that really matter to me. Because I Again, even with Wurt, I kept missing on Wurt, not getting any unique items to benefit a sorcerer whatsoever.
1: Yeah, Wurt, I, I was coming up with nothing from him. I spent a lot of money just trying to see his inventory and, like, never getting anything good off of him. But, you know, I so I, I kept going here. Uh, I go down to level 12. Uh, I found a book of regular lightning, which is funny because I already got chain lightning before. So, you know, I was using chain lightning a bit thanks to the fact that it bounces around and it's a little bit more effective, in my opinion, than, than the regular lightning. But there's another book on level 12, it's called The Book of the Black King, and it gives you more of a lore type of situation. It basically says, When I awake my master from his sleep, he attempted to possess a mortal's form. Diablo attempted to claim the body of King Leoric, but my master was too weak from his imprisonment. My lord required a simple and innocent anchor to this world, and so found the boy Albrecht perfect for the task. While the good King Leoric was left maddened by Diablo's unsuccessful possession, I kidnapped his son, Albrecht, and brought him before my master. I now await Diablo's call and pray that I will be rewarded when he at last emerges as the lord of this world. So, a little bit more into laoric and his madness and diablo attempting to find a physical form here attempting to inhabit a body so yeah so
0: we get some more lore on level 12 and this is our last lava level it's pretty much the same as level 11 unit wise landscape wise pretty much everything this is the level that i found the binding of the three story that you described with uh mephisto and ball and I will say that this level was made a little bit easier by an amulet I had found, which gave me 34 health points, which is insane. And so now I'm up to 116. So that's like a, a pretty significant upgrade getting up there. Man, I wish I had found one that had that much
1: health. That's it's pretty sweet. Uh, I, I was basically doing the strategy of trying to increase my mana pool here, uh, but I'm still looking for that book that I need to give me my mana shield. Uh, you know, and and as I headed down to level 13, I still do not have that book. So, uh, we get a whole different look, though, to level 13. This is what I referred to as the bone theme, because there are bones everywhere. Everything is made out of bones. The stairways are made out of bones. I guess I prefer it a little bit to the lava levels, because they're more open. You can kind of move around better still not nearly as cool as the gothic cathedral type of vibe but you know down there on level 13 I did run into something called the steel tome and the steel tome is another book of lore it says
2: the armories of hell are home to the warlord of blood in his wake lay the mutilated bodies of thousands angels and man alike have been cut down to fulfill his endless sacrifices to the dark ones who scream for one thing
0: blood. I did not find a tome of the warlord of blood. I found the warlord of blood on this level. And yeah, eventually you do. <laughs> well, <laughs> it was, it was, this, yeah. they had the tome on the same level that he was on. He was on this level yeah. three as well. Yeah. Yeah. Level 13. That's right. Yeah. He is insane. He is so OP. You have to walk away from him because he's immune. I mean, this level you had mentioned it being about bones. It's also about these ideas of these steel Lords, and basically, it's these really cool dark knights with plate armor, big arms, big swords. And, you know, Steel Lord at this point can basically solo you by himself. And they're immune to fire. And lightning can hit them, but it takes a long time. And they kind of dissipate into this dust and this really cool animation and sound. And this Warlord of Blood is the legendary of that creature. And oh my goodness, is he strong, Matt? No,
1: I took him down right away. No, not really. I actually fled. Uh, I could not handle this guy. I had to leave, man. I had to leave. This is actually the point where I'm not going to go too deep into this right now uh, because it's sort of like sort of a separate experience. But like basically, I went back to town and I was like, I can't take this guy. Like, there's just no chance. And I ended up going into the two different parts that you can play with the Hellfire expansion. So I went through this whole four-level dungeon that's called the Festering Nest. And I fought through there. Um, You fight a lot of these sort of bug-like enemies. I was able to purchase some more magic books from Adria, Book of Bone Spirit, Elemental, and Nova. And so I bought all these. The Book of Nova, which is basically a lightning ring that goes out from you, cost me 20k, 20,000 gold coins for this thing. But man, I used it a lot (laughs) once I got it. Eventually you move on to a second four-level dungeon, which is basically a crypt type of situation. And I fought my way through all of that I bought another book, Book of Immolation, which is another fire spell, and I fought through this whole, like, expansion content. And once I had done that, then I returned back to the Warlord of Blood. So, I had been level 20 when I first encountered the Warlord of Blood. By now, I had gained several levels. I was able to come back in and take him down. Uh, It was not easy, I used a lot of potions, a lot of just trying to, like, draw him off and just use any tactics I could to, like, just get away from him, which is not easy to do because he stuns you, of course, with every attack. And when he did go down, he dropped this plate armor. It had 140% to armor. It required 65 strength to use, which I was not going to put that much into strength. So once again I sold the drop item and I got 22,000 gold for it and then you know I was able to purchase another book uh, called the Book of Blood Star that cost 27,000 gold coins and it's basically this attack of this I think blood star is the best way to explain it it's just like a star that's like red that goes out from your character and can hit enemies and so, again, just trying to, like, add to my spellbook. Finally, I go to Adria, and she has a copy of the Mana Shield spell. So, I buy it, hotkey it, and from here on to the end of the game, which is only, like, three levels now, I'm using Mana Shield. So, that's my story about this Warlord of Blood, many twists and turns.
0: Yeah, I mean it's it kind of makes sense that they would have an enemy this strong. I mean, when you walk into level thirteen, your character says, "I must be getting close," because he can like feel the heat, he sees the bones, and basically the Warlord of Blood so OP, he has immunity to everything. He was so strong, I basically had to like I pause the game, I had to look him up google to try to find out like what the heck's going on with this guy and you find out he has immunity to fire and lightning which is all i had at this time and so usually when you cast spells they make a sound or get stunned this guy nothing he just runs at you stun locks you kills you i went back to town he got his own quest dialogue he's that strong and so kane had the best dialogue here about him saying stained by a
2: thousand years of war blood and death a warlord of blood stands upon a mountain of his tattered victims. His dark blade screams a black curse to the living. A tortured invitation to any who would stand before this executioner of hell.
0: And that's Whoa. Cool. <laughs> <laughs>
2: that is
0: and so, awesome. And so to have that kind of hype from Cain, yeah, you know he's got to be strong. Every other character, when you talk to them, they basically be like, good luck, you're going to die but good luck. You can't beat him, but good luck. And so it made sense. And so I was just like, you know what? Forget it. So I just left him. I was like, I'm not going to, I'm not dealing with this character right now with immunities to everything. I'm hoping the only thing I saw in the Wikipedia about how to beat him is the stone curse, which I didn't have. And so I was like, okay, well, I'll deal with it later. It's interesting that he drops armor, which almost qualified for enough for you to buy your nova spell but it's still less than that like why are books so expensive
1: well one thing i need to mention is that is how i defeated him so i mentioned that i was just trying to get away from him i forgot to mention because i don't i didn't write it down i guess but at some point in the game i got a scroll of golem and Gollum is basically this stone creature that will fight for you. He can, like, attack you. He just, he just punches, like, your enemies. And so what I did was I would stone curse him and then cast the Gollum. And the Gollum would stand there and hit him. And I would just keep stone cursing him until eventually he went down. So... It was really cheap, but you have to be cheap because he's immune to everything else. That's like the only way I could find to take him down. So I do not blame you for for skipping past him here. If you don't have the stone curse, then I don't know
0: what to do here. It can't be done. And so um, we will see if I end up beating the Warlord of Blood later on. And he's not isolated because as you continue down to level 14 of this dungeon, these resistances just get insane. I mean, basically units, it's like, it's even worse than Pokemon. Like Pokemon, there's like resistance. This is like immunity pretty much. And so you don't really deal any damage no matter how you spam it. And so here you get these magistrates that are like these wizarding class with a staff that spam firebolts or lightning. And they can teleport and you get these red devil witches called hell spawns that shoot these like lasers out at you. And there's like these little devil angels pretty much. It's just they all have insane range to hit you, and they all have insane resistances, and they're different. And so it's really hard to kind of maneuver here. Here, I ended up killing a unique magistrate and got the getter Damarung, which is a great helm, but again, requires 50 strength. I have 31 at this time. And so even though it gives insane armor, it gives plus 20 stats to everything, minus 4 damage per monster, can't use it. The resistances do get set to 0 with this, so that's a a little bit of a downturn, but I would still use it, but I can't because of strength. The Magistrates were the ones that were immune to fire. The hell spawn Angels were the ones immune to lightning. So you kind of have to maneuver, and they're kind of blended in between each level here. The Hydra, the Guardian spell that we talked about, was very strong. That's what I used to kill the hell spawns because basically I could cast them and just kind of run away from all these orb lasers shooting at me. The other unique item I got here was Doombringer. Really cool sword, tons of damage. Again, can't use it. So that was my highlight for level 14. So, yeah, level 14, everything
1: you said about these enemies, they drove me crazy. Like, I died so many times. Because you just have to constantly be changing spells. And I did what you did with the Hydras. You had to switch back to Lightning. You know, I used my Mana Shield. I tried to draw guys to me and then, like, cast Nova so that there was this, like, burst of Lightning that would go out from me. You have to cast it quite a lot to take these guys down. Like, they, they're not getting, like, one, two shot. You have to cast Nova, like, five, six times To get, like, the ring of enemies defeated around you. So I was just chugging down mana potions like nobody's business. I mean, there's got to be just, like, glass bottles littered all over these floors. Like, from me just chugging potions left and right. I mean, it was ridiculous. In some cases, I had to bust out the golem. Had to let him take care of some stuff. Basically, and and I'm slogging my way through because I'm still dedicated to defeating every single enemy on the level so i'm going through every nook and cranny of 14 and i did the same on 15 as well and man these enemies i was up against it
0: yeah it's important to remember as we're doing these this is pretty much why we didn't do a play-by-play of diablo pretty much every other sentence would be combined with us going back to town with Town Portal, which is again a nexus between where you're at in town and you return back to where you were, and then reloading potions, that process probably happens every other sentence. And so it can be very frustrating. That's kind of why they went away from that in you know Diablo 3, etc. is because the constant going back to town. And it's funny, like Viva La Dirt League does a whole... Uh, skit on this—the idea when you like eat the potion instead of drinking it and throwing it to the ground—it's kind of funny that they like made made fun about that because you're like, oh, you you would throw it to the ground, but yet there's no potions on the ground. You just eat the whole glass potion.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. I I was going to town every, like, couple rooms here, like, every little little bit that I went. I mean, I probably went back to town like a dozen times to refill mana on these levels, so. But yeah, I moved down from here, moved down to 15. Pretty similar experience for me. I was just slogging through, and again, constant going back to town, and just trying to, you know, and I'm filling out my whole inventory with mana at this point. Like, I'm, I'm filling up my bar, which is, like, your number keys, but then my actual inventory spaces just is all mana potions, and I'm just running through them just like water. I mean, it was crazy.
0: Same thing here. That's the only way to do it. I mean, you have to, because especially if you had the the mana shield, I mean, your your health is your mana, and so why not do it? So yeah, you're almost inclined. I mean, I was throwing everything on the ground. So in the game, when you throw things on the ground, they just stay there. So I was throwing money on the ground. I was throwing items on the ground. Just anything to clear room for these full mana potions. And you're going to need it because level 15 in these dungeon level 15 here is the final level. And when I entered level 15, immediately I get this Staff of Lazarus from a vial Rack. And it's surrounded by these Piked Bodies. And you have no idea what the staff is going to do. But when you go talk to Deckard Cain, you kind of learn the secret here. Curse me for a fool. I should have suspected his veiled treachery then. It must have been Lazarus himself who kidnapped Albrecht and has since hidden him within the labyrinth. It wasn't to have a rescue mission. It wasn't to defeat the evil. It was to actually sacrifice the son to this great evil. Who this great evil is, we don't necessarily know yet. It was not a rescue mission, but a kidnapping. And so Griswold ends up corroborating the story, noting that Lazarus, when he saw him, wasn't actually fighting the demons, but he actually went further into the labyrinth. Pretty suspicious here. So on level 15, we're met by similar enemies to what we saw. They now call them Snow Witches. They're pretty much the hell spawns of before, but instead of red, they shoot blue out, and they're immune to fire. There's also Soul Burners, same concept, the shootout orbs, these are yellow orbs. Again, pretty much the same units here. On level 15 then, you find this unholy altar. Originally, you may think this may lead to Diablo, but when you are highlighting over it and you click it, it then says Archbishop Lazarus' Lair. So kind of a little spoiler alert there if you actually read your menu. The Hellspawn are back with the red orbs, and this new Magistrate variant emerges. Again, these are the The staff-wielding mages who shoot out lightning and can teleport. They're immune to lightning, but not to fire. So Hydra here was really important for me. There are various books. Eventually, again, just Hydra spam, walking around. You eventually walk around a bit, and you see an unmarked circle ruin on the ground. And once you see that ruin on the ground, it teleports you into an epic fight with none other than the Archbishop Lazarus. You get this cool cinematic of the Archbishop Lazarus standing in a church. He has these red eyes. He says, Abandon your foolish quest. All that awaits you is the wrath of my master. You are too late to save the child.
2: Now you will join him in hell.
0: We then see Lazarus standing next to an altar where it looks like a boy has been slain upon it. The sacrifice may have already taken place. You get this epic battle. And again, the room that becomes emerged with all these units... Lazarus himself, I did the first thing that comes to my mind, I basically went away, spammed Hydras, let them do damage, used potions, did the same thing, and then eventually, once you spam the Hydras enough, Lazarus dies, and we end up saying...
2: Your
1: madness ends here, betrayer! Yeah, I did the exact same thing, like, as soon as the cinematic was over, I was like, "All right, Hydra time, and then I just everywhere i just went i ran and just cast hydra i ended up using the stone curse and the golem again on lazarus as well very effective method and the cinematic that sort of took me by surprise i totally forgot that there were any cinematics here and so that was pretty cool and you know once you've got lazarus down there's only one guy left that we need to
0: take down and he's on level 16. So the pentagram on level 15 then becomes lit. And so you know to go into it. And when you click it, you go down to level 16, which will be the final level holding Diablo. And you get your Blood Knights, your Magistrates. They're called Acolytes now. And again, it's the similar type of game mechanics. You know, I used Hydra here. You put down these Hydras. They shoot out fireballs. You run around, try to kite and survive using spells. The Acolytes here have Lightning Immune and Fire Resist, so it takes a ton of time, ton of mana to use it to kill them. It's pretty insane. And they're just spamming out tons of fireballs here. They also teleport, so when you play down a Hydra and it's in range, they'll teleport out of range, and so it's just an epic grind here to get through that. This map's pretty open here. There are several different switches around the map. You have to keep clicking the switches, As you click a switch, there's one new room that opens, you get another epic battle, click another switch, another epic battle. You keep doing this until the last room is revealed, and that last room is Diablo. And he he comes out, and he, he is just insanely strong. He basically is able to summon, he not only has a ton of acolytes around him, and a ton of these blood knights... But he basically ends up summoning fire underneath you that can stun you. And so you can't really dodge it. Like with the Acolytes shooting the fire bolts, you can kind of move around back and forth. With Diablo, it comes from underneath you and just hits you. And so incredibly difficult battle. Really hard to figure out what's going on. What I tried doing was basically save spamming, where I would try killing every unit I could but Diablo. And when I would kill the unit, I'd save it and just keep doing that over and over. You know, Try drawing out certain units, running around in circles so my Hydras could kill units, save, repeat, until eventually it's just Diablo and maybe a couple units. And even then, it's really hard to actually kill Diablo. And so I ended up basically having to get him isolated into a room with my Golem, because I did get the Golem spell that you talked about. And so he was preoccupied with the Gollum. And then once I had that scenario, I just spammed like a probably 12 billion hydras all around Diablo. And so once he killed my Gollum, he then went out after me to try to kill me. And then thankfully the Hydras just kept attacking him, ended up killing him. He still almost killed me, even despite that. And this is after like probably 35 deaths. As Diablo dies, there's a really cool death animation. The camera really focuses on him on the center screen. Blood just shoots out everywhere. And then we get this really cool cinematic, if you will. And we kind of see Diablo. He transforms into a human from his demon form. And it kind of looks like Albrecht a little bit. I'm mean, i not sure if it is, but it kind of looks like Albrecht. And then we decide to take the Soul Stone out of the forehead of this human and put it into our own. Seemingly to occupy the power of the soul stone into our own mind. Because this soul stone ended up consuming a human person, and then we felt that we would be strong enough putting it into our forehead to contain the demon Diablo. And then at the end, you get, again, cinematic. We see a desert with a Wayward spirit. You
2: pray that you have become strong enough to contain the demon and keep him at bay. Although you have been fortified by your quest, you can still feel him clawing his way up from the dark recesses of your soul. And
0: that ends the game.
1: Yeah, epic ending. My strategy to defeating him was exactly the same as what you did. But I will say that that ending, that always was like, it blew my mind. The idea that you take the stone and try to, like, contain it. It's basically like now your character is in this indefinite struggle with Diablo. And if you play Diablo 2, you'll see what happens to your character. It does not go well for your character. But it's a really cool ending. Like, the idea of your character's sort of sacrifice there to try to struggle to wrestle with this evil force. And the cinematic, I mean, I love these old-school cinematics. Back in the day, they blew my mind seeing this sort of stuff. And even now, like, revisiting it, it's just really cool. And that whole final level, so difficult. But, yeah, you get enough Guardians down and he dies eventually. And so, yeah, very similar for me. So satisfying, the ending to this game. When you beat games nowadays, it doesn't feel as satisfying as this. Because typically when you start a game, you know that as long as you put the time in, that you will beat the game. It's just a matter of time. Games are designed to be beaten these days. But I feel like when we were growing up, games were just brutal. And if you actually made it to the end, you felt like you actually accomplished something... And so going back and and beating it, oh, man, that was
0: that was awesome. You beat this game before I did, and you were always texting me like, hey, how's it going? And I remember telling you, like, dude, this game was really hard. And you said you had moments where you didn't know if you could beat the game, right? I did. I had
1: moments of doubt, especially in those last levels, having to constantly switch spells all the time. Deal with the resistances, just just going back to town and, and loading up my whole inventory with potions. I felt like I wasn't making any progress sometimes. And yeah, it was a lot of save spamming, like you said. But yeah, I mean, I wasn't sure if I could do it. Did you ever have a moment there where you, where you doubted your abilities?
0: Uh, yeah, the entire Diablo fight, because, you know, I'm sitting there and I'm like, okay, this is it. I've defeated pretty much every unit in the game, but Warlord of Blood. And this is it. I can't get any more items. I can't get any more strength. This is it. I have to find a way to somehow make this work. And so, yeah, of course, I was like, this might be it. But, I, you know, I know other people have beaten the game. Obviously, I know it can be done. So it was about how do I do it? You know, do I have to go back and pick up all those rare items and find a certain book of a spell that I need? You know, what do I got to do? But thankfully, I was able to get Diablo isolated in a good spot. And Golem, I mean, Golem was OP because I actually, I went back and actually beat Warlord of Blood spamming my Golem. I just put a Golem out, fought him, put another Golem out when he died. So Golem like literally carried me, but it's RNG. So, you know, I don't know. I bought golem from adria as well hopefully that's like a standard where she offers that because without golem man, i you know i don't know that i would have been able to do this because he literally aggroed like a tank in world of warcraft he aggroed diablo and pretty much soloed warlord of blood like none of my other spells could affect him because I only had fire and lightning you know you don't get ice you don't get poison it's just you know fire and lightning and deal with it
1: Yeah, shout out to Gollum, man. MVP here. That is weird that there are no ice spells. I always thought that was bizarre, but yeah, that's all you've got to work with. So without Gollum, I would
0: have been lost. So yeah, at the end here, it kind of leads into Diablo 2. Because the character is basically talking about a permanent solution to the East.
2: Fighting to retain control, your thoughts turn toward the ancient mystic lands of the Far East. Perhaps there, beyond the desolate wastes of Aranok, you will find an answer.
0: Or perhaps, salvation. That wayward soul, or, or whoever it is, you know we don't know at this point who it is. But he says to go East, so it kind of leads to Diablo II. The only other thing I wanted to say about the ending was that it says your reign of pain has ended and then you can't even reload. Like, I'm not saying I want to go back and replay or anything like that, but I kind of wanted like a little bit of narration from certain characters to be like, you know, kind of like Shining Force 2 with like celebration. Here it's just like, nope, you beat it. It's very much like those old school Sega games where, hey, here's your final credit, the end, move on. It seems like
1: nowadays, everyone just assumes that when they beat the game, they'll be able to keep playing the game. It's become a staple. And back in these days, it was not how it works. You know, you beat the game and the game was over. That's it. You can go back and reload your save, but there's nothing you can do because you, you've defeated all the enemies. And you can't... There's no, like, game plus or anything to go into... And, you know, I do enjoy being able to continue a game if I want to. But on the other hand, I kind of respect this sort of game design where it's just like, no, this is it. This is this is the end game over.
0: Yeah, all in all, very satisfying experience. It's exactly what I hoped it would be as a single playthrough. You know, we'll be on the lookout for other games that can do the same. I don't think even Diablo 2 you can do the same with. So I don't know that we're going to go to Diablo 2. So You know, we'll be on the lookout for other games that maybe we can do in a similar capacity. This worked out really well. And so, you know, if you have any ideas of of other games that you feel we could fit in this time frame, do a a nice playthrough and integrate the narration into our general dialogue, please let us know because we're always on the lookout for them.
1: All right, guys, we'll see you next time when we return to the 1990s. Follow us on Patreon and Instagram at The Nostalgic Millennial Podcast. Our Patreon offers access to special posts, a Discord server, and bi-weekly exclusive episodes. Spend time with us there until our next new episode when we return to the 1990s.